0: This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at place to the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, come over here. This where it's at. Yo, 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 yo. Place to be is on my side, too, because you don't want to be the target but not fly the coup. Uh, nah, place to be is on my side, too, Cause you don't wanna be the target when I fly the roof. Buenos dias, mi We call it the uh, the place to be. Place to be, yes, the place to be. Then I shall be. it is contagious. It is the place to be, and we are live each and every Monday. To do, to, to, to do worse than Josh Richard.
1: Place to be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be Podcast.
2: It's Welcome no to another great episode you. of the one and only Place TV Podcast. I am your co-host, Justin Rosero, coming to you here on this Monday evening inside the PTBN Studios, and joining me as
0: always is my PSE, Mr. Scott Kruskala. Scott, how are you? Good evening, JR. Happy Monday. Hello, PTB Wrestling work Loyalists. Welcome to episode 606 of the longest-running episode of fucking Gold Standard, the Place TV Podcast. Uh, JR, what's going on on this uh, lovely July evening. Uh, things uh, are well. Not too much. Yeah, yeah.
2: Survived Disney. That was uh, an experience. You did. It was. Yes. It was very hot, uh, but not bad. It was. It was a good time, and uh, I made it out alive. So that's good. And of course, you just missed. Are, uh,
0: you actually just missed Olaf Rotella. He was. He left as you got in. So. Yeah, uh, I can still feel the, the stench <laughs> in the air. Yeah, yeah, lingering. <laughs>
2: <laughs> i also just missed uh dave batista was at the guardians of the galaxy ride two days after i was hiding, So, oh that's awesome stars just fought with stars so not a surprise there but it was uh you know I, I would have been cool to beat him when he was outside the he was standing outside the whole ship and that, that ride uh for anyone who ventures toward epcot uh that is a must ride ride in my opinion it's probably the best i've ever experienced um pretty awesome stuff but yeah it's it's july and that means we are Rapidly approaching uh, later this week, you'll be here in person, of course, for the annual St. Yes. Mary's Day extravaganza. Yes. Tomato, and our guest tonight will be there among some other luminaries, as always. So, looking forward yep. to that. Very much. So. Uh, but but before that. we do start, Scott, I did have uh, just a quick note I wanted to uh, bring up, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. If you want to indulge me. Of okay. I wanted to give a shout out and a very warm and heartfelt congratulations to our good friend. Glennie Bunn, Glenn Butler, who this past weekend got married to our friend Boyce. Yes, uh, yes. A wonderful ceremony and uh, nothing but the best to Glenn and Boyce, two great dudes who yes. uh, we're big fans of here. But, of course, long longtime uh, voices, or at least Glenn's been a long time voice, uh, both written and audio. Uh, right. Place be nation and a good friend of ours. We've hung out in person many times, of course, and uh, yes. just really cool to see the two of them. I uh, take that next step because they've been together for a while and it's uh, just two two really good guys. So I just wanted to share a little love out there uh, toward Absolutely. Glenn and Boyce and uh, very, very excited for them.
0: Absolutely. Yes. Always good people and love Glennie Bunn, love Boyce, Boyce Laker fan. So whenever they would come to St. Mary's, uh, Boyce and I would dive into some uh, LeBron. I remember the do you think he'll come to the LeBron talk like two years before <laughs> yes. he actually became a Laker? It was actually pretty funny, but congrats to both of you. Yes. Many happy returns. Mm-hmm. For sure.
2: All right, let's go ahead and bring our guest in. Of course, I mentioned uh, we'll be seeing him in person this weekend as well. And he's been uh, making the loop lately. He's kind of become, uh, I guess, uh, a star out there in the world of wrestling. We saw him on camera at WrestleMania Backlash. We saw him on camera at GCW in Providence. And I'm sure he made some kind of film somewhere in Webster
1: Town Hall. And that is our friend Matt Susan. Matt, how are you?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm taking over. Uh, Gentlemen, it is an honor and a privilege to be here as always. Uh, uh, Thank you for having me uh, here this evening for this fine podcast of yours. Great to be here as always. Always a pleasure, Suze.
0: Always a pleasure.
1: All right. So tonight
2: we're going to continue our track... Through 2008 on our renewed timeline. Our last episode, we dove deep into WrestleMania 24. The tool man, Tim Taylor. It was good to have him here, of course. Uh, yes. And tonight, we're now a month removed. We're going to hit into Backlash. But before we do that, Mr. Criscolo, why don't you take us through uh, what else was going on in the world of wrestling on this day back in
0: 1994? Oh, Mr. Zara, sir. Uh, so. The two flamethrowers of 1994, of course, the WWF and WCW. Uh, No WCW show on this day, April 27th, uh, 1994. WCW did not have a show. WWE or WWF uh, did have a superstars taping in Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, New York. Um, So I'm not going to go through all the matches, you know, jobber squashes, of course. Uh, A couple of interesting notes on the uh, May 21st, uh, 94 episode. Was the announcement that Roddy Piper would face the king, Jerry Lawler, of course, I'm sure, mm-hmm. when uh, Jr. Mm-hmm. fires up the herb. We'll get more on this. Uh, Piper will face Jerry Lawler, king of the ring. I'm sure we all <laughs> look forward to that match. Uh, featured featured a vignette in which The Undertaker was seen at a donut shop, followed by a vignette of Ted DiBiase in a cemetery with DiBiase saying he was going to buy The Undertaker. So we go from one awesome storyline to another. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> <laughs> in those announcements. Uh, let's see. Uh, there was a jobber named Derek Domino. I had, do not remember that at all. Um, let's it's see. It's funny, because uh, wasn't
2: LaRue's nickname Domino? It's, uh, I think so. That's yeah, true. Hmm. domino doo Derek and the Dominoes?
1: <laughs> was the <main laughs> name after that? That's,
0: that's what I'm thinking. Uh, a debut on this, uh, a TV debut for a guy that, as we were talking about before, I had no idea was here this early. Uh, Duke Drosy. Mike Bell uh, with the Tilted mm. World Slam. It was his TV mm. debut. Now, I, I, I would think it's okay that, I mean, I'm, obviously he debuted, but I didn't think he did the, quote, dumpster gimmick till, like, late 95. I didn't realize he was the dumpster no. for these two years. I don't remember that, but... Of
2: course, because he was the garbage man in the indies. He was uh, Mr. 500,
0: uh, I believe, one of the years. And no, he was Duke the Dumpster,
2: because he fused with the King in 94 on Raw, and that's, like, dumpster-based feud. Oh, yeah, and that's then, true. <laughs> That's true. For yeah, for sure. No, he, he's in the 95 rumble with the dumpster.
0: No, he's he's the dumpster right away. Okay. I don't remember that. That really pretty though. quickly. Um, so uh, so there we go there. There was some King of the Ring qualifying matches, including another guy who had just debuted Jeff Jarrett. Uh, he defeated Luger by count out as we started uh, Luger's job squad Uh, year and a half or whatever. Uh, on the May 28th episode, uh, it included the announcement that the tag team champions, the head shrinkers, would defend against Yokozuna and Crush at the King of the Ring. Uh, Then some, you know, matches as usual. Uh, And then on the June 4th episode, there was no announcements, just a bunch of matches. So there you go. So WCW did not have a show on this date, and uh, the WWF had a superstars taping at the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany. So if you want to hear more about that awesome feud between Piper and Jerry Lawler and uh, other fun things, let's go to JR, who's about to fire up a little herb.
3: All right, we've
2: got a decent batch of Herbs here tonight. Uh, Matt, I hope you're excited for that. We're going to start off with March 31st, 1994, the Herb Coons. Tidbits, as mentioned on the internet already, Dave Meltzer has heaped a lot of praise on Shawn Michaels for a fantastic performance at WrestleMania 10. He wrote that Shawn put on one of the greatest individual performances in the history of the business. Michaels, in one of his last shows with the company before going on to be a several-month-long sabbatical, put on a performance that left everyone wrestling in awe of his latter match of Razor Ramon. The match, probably the best match ever on a day of pay-per-view, somehow overshadowed one of the greatest matches in a of history between Bret Hart and Owen Hart opening the show and a day of title change of Bret's later regaining of the title from Yokozuna in an average match <laughs> in the evening's finale. The Hart-, Hart match with Owen scoring the surprise clean win to elevate him to the upper echelon appeared when it was over to be a strong match of the air candidate and was a tad better than the legendary Steamboat Savage WrestleMania three match, which had been considered the greatest match in modern day of history because of the stronger finish and every bit a good overall work. In the Ladder Match Review, he wrote, Michaels took so many great bumps, you couldn't even list them all. Perhaps it should be noted that this ladder match is virtually identical to the run of ladder matches that Michaels and Ramon did at the house shows earlier in the year. Practice makes perfect. Speaking of ladder matches, on April 1st, 94, Smoky Mountain has Bluegrass Brawl. Featuring Tracy Smothers this is Chris Candido in a ladder match. They've been having very good ladder matches at house shows. And one wonders if they'll try and outdo WrestleMania 10. Good luck. Also on that show will be the Rock Roll Express versus Heavenly Bodies. loosely Smoky Mountain match. Which will be the potty's final match. Before switching to the WWF full time. Early reports have the WrestleMania 10 buy rate around 1.7. As already posted, Cactus Jack had his right ear ripped off in a match against Vader in Munich on March 16th. Jack did the usual head call between the rope spot but because the ropes were too tight he had trouble getting out and he lost his ear in the process he did finish the match though and got a ringside photographer to take a picture of his ear before going for attention ring announcer gary michael capetta carried the air to the back and put it on ice with a relatively quick action saving one third of it which was later reattached by doctors even with all this jack will still work spring stampede on april 17th one month after this brutal injury on that show he's involved in a false couty where street fight stipulations they usually see him do crazy things One wonders if the injury will affect how he works the match. Definitely not. Also on the WCW European Tour, Ron Simmons tore his bicep. Vader broke his eardrum, and referee Randy Anderson broke his leg. It runs down the card for the second UWFI shoot-fighting pay-per-view on April 16th. Also on April 16th, New Japan is running its annual top of the Super Junior Tourney. Spring Stampede uh, goes down on April 17th. Tentative lineup is Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat for the WCW title. Nasty Boys versus Cactus Jack and Max Payne for the tag titles in a False Gandhi War Street fight. Rick Rude versus Sting for the international title. Vader versus The Boss. Steve Austin versus Great Muta for the U.S. title. Steve Regal versus Brian Pillman for the TV title. Dustin Rose versus Bunkhouse Buck in a Bunkhouse match. And Tom Zenk versus Terror Ryzen. As expected, Rick Rude regained his WCW international title from Hirohase in a title change that will never get mentioned in North America. The question is now whether he'll agree to drop it to sting as planned. Hopefully we won't get a screwy finish, as usually the case when someone pulls a stunt. Brian Pillman is currently working without a contract, will apparently complete his WCW bookings while negotiations continue. He's not getting listed on new sheets in the meantime. There is talk that ODF is making a play for Pillman. Dave Kingpin, Vince McMahon's steroid distribution trial begins May 2nd, the same day WrestleMania 10 will get released on home video. The WWE of Cindy's debuted with the new post-WrestleMania look this weekend. Superstars has Vince McMahon working with Jerry Lawler, challenge has Stan Lane with Ted DiBiase. Talk is that it'll be revealed that DiBiase paid off Kurt Hennig to turn on Lex Luger in Luger's title match at WrestleMania. Slamberry 2 is on May 22nd. Rude versus Vader for the international title. Austin versus Johnny B. Badd for the U.S. title. Regal versus Larry Zbyszko for the TV title. Dustin Rhodes versus Bunkhouse Buck. Well, that's a talk that the Tully Blanchard-Terry Funk match will be one of the legend's matches on the show, leading to the return of Tully and King of the Ring on June 19th from Baltimore. There's some confusion here. because if announced a card in another city on the same date.
1: All right. Any thoughts, uh, Matt, on any of that? Yeah, he's uh, he's pretty on point for everything there. The one weird thing was a uh, terrorizing versus Tom Zink at mm. at, at Spring Stampede '94. Uh, first of all, that would have been very interesting to see uh, future Triple H wrestle on a WCW <laughs> pay per view that early. And right. two, uh, Tom Zink was still there in 1994. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I didn't think he
2: was either. I thought he was gone in like '92. I wonder, if, <laughs> I wonder if there are rumors like he was coming back or something, and this was going to be his return, maybe. Yeah.
0: I wonder what would have been more insulting, having to job to uh, fucking Tom Zank or two years later to the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania. I do know right. which job was worse. Um, uh, not bad stuff there. I got to be honest. You know, we talk about the the business dip in 94, but 1.17 for WrestleMania 10 is pretty good. That's actually great. Yeah. 1.7 for, for ninety four. I mean, that was a pretty highly... Uh,
2: touted show, you know, at the time. I mean, it was a pretty yeah. big hype show, 10th anniversary in MSG. I, I could see why it popped a rating. I, I don't think the real downturn happens to later in the year, business wise. Um,
0: but, yeah. No, you're right. No, you're right. I think the next couple pay per views will probably be pretty good, too. It's usually, it's pretty much by Survivor Series. It starts to really, really fall, but we'll get there. Um, what shoot fighting card did you say he was. I know you skipped U, the, the Magic.
2: It's the well. UW, UWFI, which is it was like the Japanese wrestling slash fighting. Oh, it's kind of like right. a work shoe. It's almost like yeah. the real predecessor to, well, I guess UFC was already going on to it this time, but it was, it was the early outlaw days of, mm-hmm. uh, mixed martial arts. I yeah, know,
1: uh, Vader main evented a couple of shows for them. I think if yeah. I remember right. Yeah.
0: Mm. That's right. I do remember that, but yeah, for the most part, everything seems pretty, uh, pretty cut and dry.
2: So Zenk was still around, uh, he works for New Japan and WCW in 92. 93, he works with Steamboat, is Dos Ombres, son of the mask, when Douglas was hurt.
3: Right. and then, That's right. Yeah, yep. it
2: says he was released in May, so pretty much right around this time. Hmm. Right. Makes sense. All right, let's go forward a week to April 14th. First, uh, no, I'm sorry, April. Yeah, okay, he skipped April 7th. Looks like he missed one. Uh, he was sick, it looks like, so. He's back. Two weeks later, April 14th, Vince McMahon's trial starts May 2nd, 1994. There's two charges against Vince and two against Titan Sports, namely each of the conspiracy to distribute anabolic steroids and defraud the FDA and illegal possession of anabolic steroids with intent to distribute. The two charges against Vince combined for a maximum possible jail sentence of eight years, maximum fine of one to two million dollars. The charges against Titan add an additional one million dollar maximum fine. Uh, originally, the additional possibility of the government seizing all of Titan's assets could have killed the company. But that's no longer the case. Titan Towers, et cetera, will not be forfeited should the company be found guilty. So in some way, at least, WF will survive, whether the outcome of the trial may be. As we get closer to the trial date, things will definitely get interesting. The Heavenly Bodies, Tom Pritchard and Jimmy Del Rey, lost their losing team, has to leave Smoky Mountain match against the Rock and Roll Express. The Bodies, of course, are coming in full time to WF. Jim Cornette worked as their manager on TV, but now at a house shows. Also on this April 1st card, Tracy Smothers and Candido had a ladder match that Dave Meltzer gave a four and a half star rating to Called a completely different match from WrestleMania, contained a lot better wrestling spots, along with Daredevil off the ladder. It didn't contain a career best performance like Shawn Michaels did at WrestleMania. For all intents and purposes, undefeated Steve Curran debuted this past week with a tag team partner, Bobby Eaton, his bad attitude. Curran looks too damn old to be credible, especially in that costume, but the team is getting a medium push with taped wins over Thunder and Lightning and the Sullivans. The hmm. UWFI Shoe Fighting Pay-Per-View airs on tape April 16th. New Japan's Top of the Super Junior on April 16th. Spring Stampede on April 17th. A couple new matches listed here now are Johnny B. Badd versus Diamond Dallas Page and Danny Bonaducci versus Christopher Knight. Good Lord. <laughs> this hmm. the last match of Danny Partridge versus Peter Brady it should be a dark match on the show. The second to last match is a... Replacement for Tom Sank versus Terra Ryzen, which someone had a good sense to realize that even Tom can't carry Terra to a great match. <laughs> this show will be called by a three man team of Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and Jesse Ventura, which I don't think actually happens. I think Jesse don't they swap doesn't he swap in for a couple matches? I don't know if he works in the back, but I feel like he does like maybe a match or two, but uh, it's definitely not all three of them for the whole show. Rick Rude is originally supposed to drop his title to staying on this show. It seems clear none of the other titles are going to change, but he balked at that suggestion. Word is now the title change will happen in F- F- I'm going to mess this up big time. Fukuoka in two weeks. We'll have some feel for the future of Brian Pillman after the show. He's been working without a contract. Word is he wanted to raise for a while. If he's buried here, then he's history. Ditto for Steve Austin, who's also starting negotiations with WCW on a new contract. Talk has both guys going to the WWF. That talk about a potential game changer. Imagine if the Hollywood blondes went in ninety four. Like given the empty tag division, he's curious how they would have been used. Yeah, that would have been something. That would
1: have nope. been a boost that to that, that division desperately needed. hmm
0: Yeah. I mean I, I, they probably would have come in as heels. So Right. I don't know. Who would that have hurt, I guess? No one. I mean this is,
3: <laughs>
2: the tag yeah. division is
0: pretty awful at this. I mean, I
2: guess I mean the Quebecers are pretty much done. Quebecers probably. Yeah, because no. they would well, they're have. done anyway at this point so
0: yeah pretty that's true that would have been pretty great though
2: <laughs> yeah i mean i guess they could have brought him in as singles too with pillman as a face like maybe it would have done something like that but anyway uh talk persists that hulk hogan will face rick flair great american bash in july hogan is expected to appear at spring stampede to give the match some fuel hogan will be known as terry hurricane hogan <laughs> they bother to call him anything besides just Hogan, since Jodie F is being a stickler about the rights to the name. Imagine that if he was Terry Hogan in <laughs> 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 Hurricane Hogan.
1: <laughs> Hurricane Hogan. Oh, that's uh, great. Different colored tights. He would have looked like uh, the Dragon's tights in '91 or some shit. <laughs> he, get, he gets great. Bob. Bob Dylan does his entrance music. So it would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that would have been great. That'd have been that. Would have been amazing.
2: I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm certainly glad to see Eric Watts get a chance to regain his stolen trophy from Texas Lassinger and Shanghai Pierce. Who would have thought Bunkhouse Buck would have run in and destroyed a t- trophy over Dustin Rose's back? Now, yes, this is good booking. Ah, at least they continue to do a fantastic job building Flair and Steamboat, with Flair wrestling Quick Squash in a suit and refusing to break the figure four. Maybe someone explain this to me. Flair versus Steamboat is being built up solidly. Flair's the bad guy in the pairing, no problem. In upcoming weeks, Arn Anderson gets the DQ win over Paul Diamond, who's still pretending to be Japanese, when Pat Tanaka interferes. Arn wants satisfaction, so he calls a tag team partner to help settle things for Steamboat. Huh? Don't tell me they ignore Arn's strong links to Flair. The new booking team has to be judged by the Saturday shows since they are locked into what's airing, what was taped on the other shows where Dusty was ending his booking stint. That's why I don't get too upset at seeing stupid inconsistencies like the old and new shows, like the grating fact that Flair's a heel in one clip while being a babyface in the next. This would be the first big confusing move for me. they will do a mutual respect angle coming out of Flair and Steamboat at a spring stampede. Crush is now using a hard punch as a finisher. This will only give the finishing move to the most skilled of wrestlers. He's set to have cage matches with Randy Savage on the house shows. Bull Nakano is coming into the F in December full time for six months to feud with Medusa. It started at the last batch of TV tapings with Diesel versus Razor Ramon feud getting rolling and kept moving last night as Diesel has won the IC title. The ref is a hardcore angle this week to set up IRS versus Tatanka. As we all know, IRS claimed that Satanka had to pay a gift tax of the headdress he got on Raw. IRS came to ringside during the first tatanka Quang match a couple weeks ago, and during a rematch, he comes down and rips the headdress apart after tying Satanka to the ropes to watch. IRS also destroys Jay Strongbow and makes a save. This past weekend saw them set up Jeff Jarrett versus Doink and Dink on house shows when Dink came out to tell a referee that Jarrett cheated to beat Sparky Plug. Jarrett chased Dink off, and Doink jumped out of nowhere, tossing a bucket of water on Jarrett. All this leads to the WrestleMania Revenge Tour at House Shows. That's where they charge you twice as much to see loaded shows at your arena. I was at one of these. The lineup for this night of the tour will cont- contain Bret Hart versus Owen Hart, Diesel versus Razor Ramon, Alundra Blaze versus Luda Vishon, Randy Savage versus Crush in a Cage, Lex Luger versus Kurt Hennig, IRS versus Tadanka, Jeff Jarrett versus Doink and Dink, and Yokozuna versus Earthquake. Slamberry 2 on 522, Rude Vader, Austin Bad Regal Zabisco, Rhodes Bunk, uh, Buck, Blanchard Terry Funk is rumored. Other legends slated to appear are Vern Gagne, Dusty Rhodes, Killer Kowalski the Assassin, Ray Stevens, Red Bastion, Larry Hennig, Ole Anderson, Blackjack Mulligan, Tommy Young, and Lute King of the Ring June 19th, Great American Bash, 717 from Miami, which is completely wrong. Uh, and that's after that one. Any thoughts on those notes before we move on?
0: Uh, I wonder when they changed when they de- obviously that's wrong where where it is and and the name but I'm curious when uh, when they decide to change it from Great right. and, and Bash to Bash mm-hmm. the Beach. I mean, if he, we're in what late March, mid March, so I mean, it's, I mean, it's kind of far away, so I guess they have any, they have plenty of time to change it. So. Yeah.
1: The but, only uh, other thing is. Uh, Obviously, Vince Vince was never going to go away for eight years, right? But imagine if he had gone away for like three, even that, like how different everything would have been if he was in jail for three years, because that'd probably take you into what, like 97-ish? Mm-hmm. I mean, just just think about that, how different shit could have been if he was in jail. Like, it's kind of right. wild to think about. Like, he was never going to do eight years, but like the possibility was like three or four, he could have gotten. So, I mean, that could have changed everything. So, yeah, that would have been pretty, pretty funky. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's. I guess
2: if the, you know, power setup was rumors are true, right? It would be that it was Jerry Jarrett to take over. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think they go much more probably straight by the book. Um, I mean, you know, as we went through like even Wrestling Warzone and and past episodes of this, I mean, they really don't start to mix things up until into early 97 so i don't know i mean does it push the timeline back severely you think because they do stick to the format into 96 even with yeah i mean if you look at most of Shawn michael's title reign like it's all pretty basic stuff it's like face champion kind of goes through heel contenders they're still doing the taped raws with the canned heat so i I don't know how much if there was ever a time like that might have been the time to just like there probably maybe isn't as much change. The big change might have been Vince by the time he returns in like mid to late 97, like are they already buried? If if you assume WCW goes the same, you know? Right.
3: Mm.
0: Also kind of curious of how, uh, Sean would have been, you know, backstage thinking, Oh, I'll just totally manipulate this hillbilly. And, uh, so, you know, the way Sean was at that time in his life, be very interesting to see how uh, guys would have been, you know, how the backstage would have been or how the office would have been with, right. you know, the click. Mm. I mean, like, yeah. had they gotten bigger pushes, would Razor and Diesel left? Yeah. You know, maybe Jared gives them time off for the shits of it and they don't decide not to not to leave, you know, or they get their money or whatever, you know. So, yeah, I mean, right. Or do they, you know, usurp even more and
2: gain even more power because. Right. You don't have Vince. I mean, on one hand, Vince kind of did kowtow to them, but do they gain more power because it's a weaker top of the chain with Jarrett in charge? Or does Jarrett being more of an old school dude, like not get as enamored by their mind games and maybe he sides more with
0: Brett? That's true. That'd be very interesting. And maybe they do leave later. Uh, I mean, this is a rabbit hole. We don't want to crawl down, but this is right. inter- it is very it is very interesting. If 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 Vince did go to jail, it might be a um yeah, inter- that is that's a that's a rabbit hole that would require some interesting thinking. Well, and you also does Jeff Jarrett get more of a push? Right. Oh, oh God. God help us all. <laughs> right. I mean, just so, the <laughs> We started getting slap nuts T-shirts in 1995.
2: <laughs> I mean, you would have to assume that he's probably at least. I mean, he's positioned pretty well in 94, 95, anyway. So, yeah, who knows? Yeah, it's curious. I, again, I don't know how much really changes given right. it all. But all right. Let's move ahead a week. We are going to April 21st. Some news from last week's tapings. Jeff Jarrett versus Doink and Dink was built up as Jarrett was in general. Jarrett has a fancier ring entrance now. It was DQ'd and then counted out against Reza Ramon. Jarrett masquerading as Doink destroyed Dink, which would usually mean he laid him out with many devastating maneuvers, but not in this case, as he used pies, whipped cream, and other foodstuffs on Dink. I can imagine the commentary now laced with cheesy references to Doink's little Dink. In a later match, Doink chased Jarrett off to the back. Jarrett also dropped a match to Lex Luger. Diesel won the IC title and Mash air in the next couple weeks. If memory serves, Adam Baum versus Razor Ramon, Mash it airs this week will lead to the challenge from Diesel. Ramon stripped the turnbuckle, but Diesel used it before Ramon could. Shawn Michaels acted as Diesel's manager at the taping, but won't work in this role on the road, which seems to be more of the norm now as Jeff Jarrett doesn't go on the road for Yokozuna. I'm sorry, Jim Cornette doesn't go on the road for Yokozuna or the Heavenly Bodies. Melissa Hyatt, also known as Missy Hyatt, was featured on Tuesday's Inside Edition, talking about harassment claims against WCW. She filed a claim with Georgia Equal Opportunity Commission on March 29th, in which she claimed she was sexually harassed by her coworkers and superiors for her five-year stint in WCW-NWA. She said on Inside Edition that the EEOC has 90 days to collect information on the case, and at that point she planned to sue the company in federal court and each supervisor and each individual separately. Stories done by Steve Dunleavy, who began the, with the insulting, If I was 100 pounds heavier and put a tattoo on my nose, maybe I would join the billion dollar industry named wrestling. Some of them have the acting talent of Richard Burton with a little bit of Mickey Mouse, so he immediately dismissed the whole thing as pretty much ridiculous. I think this speaks a different way in which our culture and Japanese culture view pro wrestling, but that's another issue. Missy said that the straw that broke her back was when she saw a picture of herself with her breasts hanging out of her top blown up and posted in the office. Meltzer mm. views that this must have been from Starcade, but Missy seemed to say it was from another match where she ran in the ring for DQ with the Nasty Boys. This happened in January. She claimed she was fired when she complained. Dunleavy also asked her wrestling, fact or fiction? And Missy replied, I don't want to insult your intelligence or anyone else's intelligence, but it's a complete fabrication. Inside Edition also went to Chicago to get a quick interview with Cactus Jack and Max Payne on their way to the Horizon for the pay-per-view. Cactus said she was around for a long time. I thought she was pretty good at her job. I don't. I think she's biting the hand that fed her. You nature is his people suck and things like that are bound to happen. So, Missy, if you make a few bucks out of Ted's deep pockets, go ahead. WCW spokesperson on the show, Alan Sharp, basically said he can't comment on the issue. WCW has resigned both Brian Pillman and Steve Austin right before Spring Stampede. Part of that looked like Pillman was done at the show and Austin would only work one more month. Many sources reported that both had deals with the WF, but that's just hot air now. Presumably, Spring Stampede May event will finish, will lead to Ric Flair being a face once again. He's supposed to be a strong face by the time Slam Bree rolls around. This explains the logic of taping a match with Arn Anderson and Ricky Steamboat teaming. Flair has been working pretty much as a baby face at the house shows. Slam 2 has the Nasties versus the Sullivan's, Austin versus Bad, Regal versus Dabisco, Rude versus Vader, Rhodes versus Buck in a Texas Bull Rope match, and Tully Blanchard versus Terry Funk, Flair defending the WCW title. Uh, same Legends match mentioned last week. And then the Ring and the Bash still on 717 from Miami. Any thoughts on any of that before we get to the final edition?
3: Yeah. No, not pretty much there. Dry. Yeah. Yeah, pretty cut and dry. Okay.
2: All right. So to our final one, April 28th. The plot thickens as far as Viswick Man's trial is concerned. It's been moved back to a start date of July 5th that had been scheduled to start this coming Monday. Originally, there were two charges against Vince and against Titan. There were mixed reports that the charge of distribution of steroids against Titan have been dropped. Some reports only say the penalty no longer included confiscating Titan Towers. Now, two additional charges against the command have been added. Another related to distribution of steroids and one for falsifying an HIV test for Hulk Hogan. In fact, tonight's current (laughs) affair ran a story on the HIV test that didn't reveal too much. They show the document that charges Vince with getting Howard Finkel to take the test on behalf of Hogan in February of 1990. The mm. test was demanded by a state licensing commission, and Hogan's lawyer responded that if there was a fake test, Hogan didn't know anything about it. Tiny's lawyer and Finkel's lawyer refused comment. Lo and behold, there was David Schultz again talking about some old charges against Hogan, saying he would no need to fake a test unless there was something to hide. Schultz said he became afraid when he saw how frequently needles were shared in the locker room and in the gym. And that he actually went to the Athletic Commission and asked them to start testing for steroids. They also had Vince McMahon's ex-chauffeur, another old player in the game, on camera to point the finger at Emily Feinberg, the only new name to surface. Feinberg was a Playboy playmate in 1988 before being hired as a personal assistant to Vince McMahon. So all takes on a very new light with all the recent stuff.
3: No. According
2: to the ex-chauffeur, she was in charge of arranging the blood tests. When confronted outside of her house, she also offered no comment. This show wasn't very kind to Hogan because of the obvious implications of Hogan not wanting to be tested for the virus and also because of rehashing of the steroid issue. They mentioned that Hogan had publicly admitted using steroids three times in his life, but Schultz said he injected Hogan with steroids many times. They ended saying by saying that Vince's trial in July would bring the truth to light. They said that Vince faces eight years in jail. It's somehow curious that July will mark Hogan's chance to come clean in the courtroom and his return to the ring is rumored to face Ric Flair on the pay for You. Too cold. Scorpio's history with WCW, although the company wants to find a way to bring him back. Rumors are flying that Scorpio's out because of some drug-related offenses. This is strange because WCW usually just suspends someone if drugs are the reason. Fortunately for him, Scorpio is one of the few North American wrestlers, like Chris Benoit and Owen Hart, who can fit work in numerous styles as well. So he should have no trouble finding work elsewhere. And Matt, as we know well, he would end up in ECW. Mm-hmm. Brian Pillman and Steve Austin signed two-year contracts. Jacques Rougeau was given his notice to the WDF when he first returned to the WDF with Pierre, working as the Quebecers. Jacques gave some interviews to Canadian newspapers, saying he only intended to work for a relatively short time before retiring. And it looks like that is now the case. The WDF has been forewarned of the situation is building up the Quebecers-Head Shrinkers match for Monday Night Raw, which will lead to the title change. The Head Shrinkers already appeared on tapings with the tag titles. There's also been teasing a heel turn for either one or both Seiner brothers, with we'll talked that the team will turn to take over the Quebecers spot. Diesel's icy title win airs this weekend on Superstars. Diesel beginning be getting a huge push all the way to pay-per-view main event status. So that's crazy. That was already rumored. Uh, it's not like you picked up CM. I guess they already had machinations of him here in April to go mm. all the way up. Unless they're just talking about King of the Ring and, you know, contending and losing, maybe. But. Right. Right. Kurt Hennig gets sidelined with a foot injury. There are rumors swirling this is because this McMahon said Hennig was suspended indefinitely on an episode of Raw. This combines with Hennig missing his shot in Memphis. With Melzer's creative wording, Kurt said he had a toe injury being repeated in different reports. Hennig being out, tempor- however temporarily, and Shawn Michaels taking a break, Diesel getting hurt, pushed hard. The headline matches will hurt a bit. To his credit, Kurt did have surgery on his foot and won't be able to return until the end of May, so perhaps all is well. Dave Meltzer raved about Spring Stampede this past week's Observer. The work rate and match quality from top to bottom ranked with the best pay-per-view shows of all time. Not one match below average. Street Fight tag was four and a half. He said it was one of the wildest, sickest, and most brutal matches you'll ever see. One of those brutal matches of all time. He had the Bunkhouse match four stars. He called it an excellent bloodbath. Vader versus Boss three and a half. He said it was brutal. And flair steamboat four and a quarter called it a classic but also took about how hard it is to live up to the standard of 1989 he did and say the ending left one feeling flat with the double pin finish with the challenger in command executing a hold to lead to rematch is a good finish provided the issue is eventually resolved the tv rematch was taped leading to flair returning to a face position in the return of barry windham uh, one quick uh, correction missy hyatt's story was uh, last week was on a current affair not inside edition so what came out in second fan week takes place on August 5th to August 13th. It includes all the things that last year's did, several house shows, including a major show, meeting the wrestlers, Jim Cornette. A few weeks back on IRC, I mentioned the idea of many RSPWers getting together to share the experience, and many thought it was a great idea. I've been invited to a wedding on August 7th, so I'm not sure anymore if I'll be going, but I'm curious what the feelings are. Slambury 2, same card we've been talking about. Spring Stampede, one of the dark matches at the Sullivans against Pat Tanaka and Haito, who is Paul Diamond. The equalizer injured his knee in this match it will not work the pay-per-view. Talk is that Cactus Jack will be taking his place with Kevin Sullivan. In someone's idea of a joke, yesterday's mail to me included a donation envelope to the WF, the World Wildlife Fund. Okay. <laughs> on last week's wrestling challenge, they ended with the Heavenly Bodies tag match. I mentioned this because challenge doesn't air in that many markets. Because of this was the worst occurrence of the weekend. The commentators Ted DiBiase and Stan Lane figured Stan should know a lot about Cornette, Pritchard, and Del Rey. Instead, he pretended like he never had any relationship ever with any of these guys. DiBiase made comments about Cornette taking mediocre wrestlers and turning to pretty good teams. Stan acted outraged at Cornette's antics at ringside. It was like watching The Twilight Zone. Starting this week, Stan is calling F the WWF instead of WWF, which sounded strange of what we're used to. I've mm. accepted recent offers. To get Smoky Mountain house shows with the bodies, always in great matches. For some reason, I've turned down that dirty house show appearances. Sigh, there's something wrong with watching them jobs of the Bushwhackers. King of the Ring June 19th, headlined by Bret Hart versus Diesel. Clash of Champions June in '94 will be happening, in Great American Bash still 717 from Miami. And that'll do it for our herb notes. Any final thoughts here?
1: To be a fly on the wall for Vince McMahon going up to Howard Finkel and handing him a whizinator <laughs> to falsify an <laughs> HIV <laughs> test. God.
0: Oh, I would pay all the money in the world to see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I wonder, was he going to a wedding, uh, uh, maybe like near a CNWA uh, event? Maybe Perhaps. the wedding was the CNWA event. <laughs> That was the main event, match made in heaven, and a match made in Ottawa. (laughs) Uh All right.
2: Uh, So we talked a lot about Vince McMahon going to jail, and if he would have went, maybe he'd be, you know, sharing a tell with the performer of our number one song this week in 1994, "Bump and Grind" by R. Kelly. (laughs) And (laughs) and here Ah. to take a piss, all over the top pop culture (laughs) of the time in our vintage pop culture corner, Scott.
3: I don't want to hurt nobody But there is something that I must confess To you I don't see nothing wrong With a little bump and grind. With
0: a little bump and grind Thank you, Jim. When I uh, was setting up the uh, on my notes for uh, for this week's pop culture corner, and I saw that was number one, I said, "I hope there's something, some saucy Vince stuff in the Herb notes to to, to piggyback this." And uh, yeah, bumping and piggybacking right here. Uh, R. Kelly, yes, everyone, bump and grind. How fitting. Uh, at number one uh, on the Billboard charts this week, uh, back in 1994. Um, at number two, uh, "The Sign" by Ace of Base. Number three, The Most Beautiful Girl in the World by Prince. I'm sure R. Kelly was singing that before he was filming it. Never mind. Uh, Without You, Never Forget You by Mariah Carey at four. Uh, mm-mm, or I should say, mm, to the fourth power by Crash Test Dummies. You know, mm-mm, mm-mm. Mm-hmm. power of love by Sladeon at five. I'm sorry, at six. Uh, so Much in Love by All for One at seven. Now and Forever by Richard Marks at eight. Return to Innocence by Enigma at nine. And Loser by Beck at 10 so it's fitting song called loser at number 10 and the song by a loser at number one (laughs) how fitting uh we go from the uh radio charts to the movies let's see what was going on the theaters on this week uh april 20 the weekend of april 29th 1994 uh the top 10 at number 10 sugar hill was that the Wesley Snipes, kind of like New Jack City knockoff, right? Was that Sugar Hill? I think it was. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire at nine, at this point making over $200 million. Uh, The Inkwell at eight. The Paper at seven. Schindler's List at six. You So Crazy at five. Bad Girls at four. uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral at three. A lot of rom-coms. Well, except Schindler's (laughs) List is a rom-com. Yeah. Yeah. and then it's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the top two both debuted on this weekend with honors, which I think is a, was that uh, Joe Pesci? I think. And No Escape was the number one movie the weekend. And I think that's a Stephen Seagal movie, I think. I have to double check that. Uh, but those were the top 10 movies uh, in theaters uh, this week, uh, the weekend in 1994. Uh, there was one playoff game in the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. Actually, I'm sorry, there were three games. I'm sorry, there were no NBA, there was no uh, NBA games. The NBA playoffs for 1994 were about to start. No games mm-hmm. had, no series had started yet. Uh, of course, Knicks fans were feeling very good because uh, they were probably the best team in the East um, as the Bulls. I mean, the Bulls had a good year, even, you know, the first year without Michael, uh, but we will uh, will document it and see how they do. Um, we did, though, have three uh, Stanley Cup playoff games uh, including one involving gentlemen, our beloved uh, Boston Bruins. Uh, game six at the U.S. Air Arena in D.C., the Caps knocked out the Penguins 6-3. to three. They won the series four games to two. These were uh, first-round series. Uh, in Buffalo, in four overtimes, the Sabres beat the uh, Devils at the odd, one nothing. That tied the series at three, so there would be a game seven uh, at the Meadowlands. And finally, Mr. Seuss, at the old Forum in Montreal, the Bruins staved off elimination with a three-to-two win on the road, and uh, that series tied at three apiece. So there would be a Game Seven at the Garden, uh, probably a couple days later. And I'm pretty sure they won that Game Seven because I think that they the Devils knocked them out. I think that year in the playoffs. So, yeah, they did because the Rangers and Devils had that awesome Eastern Conference Final. So, uh, in any event. Uh, Let us look at the uh, baseball scores for this Wednesday, April 27th, uh, 1994. Of course, might as well enjoy the baseball now, guys, because by the time we get to the uh, summer Mm -hmm. and fall, there will be none. Uh, Let's take a look at our teams. Uh, The Mets lost in fifth. I'm sorry. The Mets won in 15 innings, three to two over the Padres. Uh, The Red Sox, the the Red Sox won one nothing in Oakland over the A's. And the Yankees blew out the Mariners 12 to two at uh, the kingdom in Seattle. This is the first year guys. And I totally forget about this because of the, you know, cause the, sh- the series ended the season mm-hmm. ended early because of the strike, but this was actually the first year of the three divisions.
2: Yes. I thought it was the, yep. following it was the year. first year of the wild card and all that. Nope. This was yep, going to be was. the first
0: year. This was gonna be the first year. So the Red Sox are in first place out of the gate at 14 and seven, uh, the Orioles and Yankees tied for second and third a like half game out the blue jays the defending world champions are uh, a game out cleveland leads the central by a game over the white Sox. of course the jake jacobs field opened in uh, 1994 uh all four this makes this, this is fitting all four teams in the american league west were under 500
3: <laughs>
0: the angels were nine and 13 the mariners rate and 12 the rangers were seven and 11 and the a's were seven and 14 oh the a's that's no different than now Uh, National League East, of course, the Braves leading at 15 and six, four games ahead of the Expos, four and a half ahead of the Mets. Uh, The Reds led the Central by a game over St. Louis and the the, uh, Giants led the West by a game over uh, the Dodgers. And finally, of course, we are wrapping up uh, season four. Great episode here. Season four of Beverly Hills 90210. Uh, This episode aired on this night. Uh, The episode was titled Acting Out. Definitely a memorable episode here, JR Mm -hmm. and Sue's. Brenda feels betrayed by Kelly's decision to audition against her for the lead in the play and refuses to speak to her anymore. Wow, Brenda and Kelly not talking. What a shock. (laughs) Uh, But Kelly isn't the the only one competing against Brenda for the lead as Laura tries Mm. out for the role in a callback audition and Brenda eventually... Heads to Roy's condo to do an unofficial audition. Uh, Meanwhile, on a hot roof, that's right. Claire tricks Brandon into taking her to her senior prom at her posh boarding school, uh, which leads to Brandon getting decked by an angry passerby at Claire's hotel post prom party. Uh, Jesse's not around when Andrea has a medical emergency, and she's forced to call on Donna, whom she'd earlier been dismissive of, uh, for help to take her to the hospital. Elsewhere, Kevin continues to charm his way into Dylan and Suzanne's lives, which makes Kelly feel left out as she begins to distrust both Kevin and Suzanne once again. So, it's funny. I feel like as we were getting to the tail end of this season and and the obvious uh, the obvious uh, news that this was obviously it for Shannon Doherty, I felt like they made Brenda much more sympathetic a character at this point. Than she probably was ever in the previous three and a half seasons. I feel like the end of this season four, they actually started, yeah, they actually started writing it, so she was the victim uh, in a lot of these episodes, and you know Steve was his usual douchey asshole self. But we all know what happened to Laura uh, Jr. She lost her fucking mind. So yes, uh, yes. Uh, more on season four uh, uh, in our next episode. So, and that is it for our pop culture corner. All right, listen, speaking of 90210, be sure to check out
2: bh90210.podbean.com. That is the home of 90210, uh, no so, I should say it's bh sopodbeancom So uh, Tim Capel, and myself, chronological look through the history of Beverly Hills, 90210. Scott, you were on our most recent episode, wrapping up mm-hmm. season one. Uh, season two will be dropping very shortly, the first episode that is. So that's its own feed. Be sure to subscribe there. As well as the North-South Connection Podcast Network. There's tons of great content coming at you. Uh, new show every single day. We're super proud of all the content that's coming out. A lot of it is evergreen wrestling content. Uh, if you're into lists, if you're into projects, if you're into deep dives, into you know famous and also overlooked eras of professional wrestling, and even a little bit of current stuff, too. With uh, We have a... Biweekly weekly AEW podcast that drops every other Friday that rotates with lines at Headlines 2.0, which is our current ODE podcast, as well as, of course, Matt, you're with me and Jenny Smith on the Extreme Three-Way Dance podcast, which is going through the history of ECW. So tons of great content there. Scott, what do you got going on?
0: Uh, we just had a very uh, a great week uh, at the uh, PTB Wrestling Network here, Old Reliable. We've had uh, let's see, we've had uh, new episodes of uh, uh, Extreme Resurrection. Mr. Uh, Grunberg and Mr. Riddle. New episode of Talking WCW. Jenny and Tim and, and Greg talked a little uh, Little Barry Windham. Uh, new episode, Suze, of Highway to the Impact Zone. Also a new episode of NWA Crock and Roll, as well as a new episode of the NWA Saturday Special, etc. So a great week uh, last week and a great week ahead this week. Uh, we'll have a new episode of Main Event. Also a new episode of Through the Looking Glass with our special guest, uh, that will be on, uh, next, uh, on our next episode, JR. So, uh, all the great stuff, place to com. You can follow us on Twitter at PTB and wrestling. And of course, as JR said, the no-so and of course the Jenny position, which is within the no-so and the PTB pop experience, continue, uh, owning the quad of pods. We give you all the info and entertainment we can. Matt,
2: anything you want to talk about before we move on?
1: Yeah, you've mentioned most of my stuff. The only other thing I will mention is uh, should be a new episode of YouTube Roulette out soon, uh, if not out already by the time uh, this drops. So give that a listen. We basically just watch random matches from YouTube. It's a blast to do. That's a, it's a great show. So give that a listen if you haven't yet. And uh, you can find uh, every show that I'm on. Usually I'll retweet them on my Twitter, which is at msusa1991. All right, with that all done, let's head back to the future to two thousand eight
2: to talk backlash. It
3: was nineteen. My hair was long. April
2: 27, 2008, the first Mariner Arena in Baltimore, Maryland. Attendance 11,277, by rate of 200,000. It's the 10th ever backlash And Maryland's fourth pay per view. All have been in Baltimore, but the first since No Way Out 2006. Uh, some notes to get us going on the show. To close out WrestleMania weekend, the March 31st Raw ended with a farewell celebration of Ric Flair. Flair came out and declared that he wrestled his very last match at WrestleMania 24 and promised he will never wrestle again, and he's not sad. Fans should <laughs> rejoice his career. <laughs> yes, of course, the time is funny. When he tried to leave Triple H's music hit and Triple H joined his friend in the ring, yeah. Flair was not in on this part of the show and started to cry as Triple H had more people want to say thank you. First came out The Four Horsemen, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Barry Windham, and J.J. Dillon. Then came out Batista, followed by Ricky Steamboat, Harley Race, Greg Valentine, Dean Malenko, Chris Jericho, John Cena, and Ric Flair's family. Finally, Shawn Michaels came out and cried along with Flair, and they embraced him in the crowded ring. The entire WWE roster showed up and paid tribute, with all the rest of us starting a thank you, Rick chant until the building was chanting. After the show went off the air, Undertaker Vince McMahon both came out to show respect for Ric Flair. April 10th to 19th, a traditional post-Restimated European tour took place. They had shows in Spain, England, Wales, France, Austria, Scotland, and Portugal. On April 15th, we had the first issue of Dirty Kids magazine released. And on that same day, Mike Adamley stepped in to replace Joey Styles as lead announcer on ECW. Of course, he had had that role since June of 06 when the brand rebooted. He, I believe, moved backstage to work on the website. I would eventually leave. Uh, The next day, Ric Flair is honored on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives by Representative Sue Myrick of Charlotte. April 21st, episode of Raw from Greenville, South Carolina, saw the return of King of the Ring. William Regal winning over submission over CM Punk in the final. So he is now our King on April 23rd. Maria was named one of FHM's hundred Texas women in the world ranking at number 84. And on that same day, Rob Van Dam's wife, Sonia was diagnosed with colon cancer. And on this very show, we have a brand new color commentator on SmackDown. We'll talk about that in a minute. Before we get started, any thoughts on the uh, rundown of notes there before we get in?
1: Yeah, uh, that uh, if you've never seen that Flair farewell segment, it's fantastic. It's it's the fact that Flair didn't know about a lot of it is kind of what made it better because it it was such a genuine reaction from him. And you can tell watching it that he was clearly touched by everything that was going on. So, yeah, if you've never seen that segment, it's it must be I'm, I'm assuming the full thing is on Peacock. So, yeah, definitely give that a watch if you've never seen it. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah, that uh, it always gets to me. I remember writing it up for our uh, our old column, uh, you know, our old write ups on the on the on the uh, message board, and uh, yeah, always very emotional for me about, on that. Arn and Barry, I, I, it was the first time those guys had been together, and all the Harley and Hammer, and uh, it was just amazing. It was absolutely amazing.
2: All right, let's head in. Uh, we have one dark match on the night. That is John Morrison and the Miz defeating jimmy wang gang and shannon moore and then we get our intense opening video hits all the top feuds for the night uh, very interesting i thought that they used all summer long by kid rock i, I know obviously it's a popular song at this time but it's a spring show like, i feel like something <laughs> saved it maybe for a couple months right uh for i don't know the great american bash maybe in the summer right. uh this is an odd choice to use for uh a show in late april Jim Ross and the King welcome us to Baltimore. They get things up and running. We also have from Mike Adamley, and as he calls him, the Taz uh, (laughs) on ECW. And then Michael Cole and his new partner on SmackDown, Mick Foley, who is a great addition here in the booth, as we'll go through. Uh, I was super excited to see him pop up. I remembered really liking him at the time. Of course, this run would hasten his departure from the company toward the end of the year. But for now, we'll enjoy what we got out of the Micker Mm -hmm. in the booth on
0: SmackDown. Uh, All right, Scott, our opening match. Why don't you set it up for us? All right. We have our first uh, title match of the evening as your United States championship is on the line as MVP uh, takes on Matt Hardy. Of course, on the April 4th episode of SmackDown, Matt Hardy made his SmackDown return. If you remember, he ran in the ring at WrestleMania and cost MVP the briefcase in the Money in the Bank match. Uh, And he pinned MVP in a non-title match on the April 18th SmackDown from London, It was announced that Hardy would face MVP at Backlash here for the U.S. title. And on the April 25th SmackDown, Michael Cole conducted an in-ring interview with Matt Hardy regarding his return to the WWE and the U.S. title match with MVP at the show tonight. MVP eventually came out and confronted Hardy. He claimed Hardy was jealous and was riding his coattails after Hardy refused MVP's offer to forget about the match, move on and be friends. MVP took off his title belt, held it in the air, then kicked Hardy's bad leg and hit him in the face with the title belt. Great, great, great uh, culmination to this feud right here. Long time. Yeah, it's coming. been a really good
2: feud. Yeah, it's been a lot of history with these guys, and it's a good choice to open. Uh, Foley notes that Hardy has been months of his prime injured because of MVP. MVP swag is so good, but he's finally, you know, it's finally, time finally maybe up here. Hardy, the U.S. title Rain, it's all culminating nearly a year long since they started this thing. Crowd is all in on Hardy. As Foley notes that MVP is going to go with that rehab knee. MVP uses strikes early, but Hardy slugs right back at him, knocks him to the floor. Hardy maintains control, works through some pin covers as he keeps knifing MVP with strikes. Hardy cranks a headlock, as Foley talks about. Matt focusing on the title and not retaliation via injury. MVP takes over the back suplex, which gives him a new target for his offense. Hardy finds a quick opening, scales the top, and tries a moonsault, but MVP dodges and he crashes hard. MVP cranks some abdominal stretches as we edge along. MVP's comeback cutoffs are nice here, nice uh, belly-to-belly throw. Going in on the stomach and the back. Foley makes a good point, saying that MVP's first plan of attack, uh, going at the knee, was not working, so he pivoted to the midsection. This is a really good insight already from Foley. A huge plus to the product. Hardy mounts a comeback, leading to a slugfest, starts to grab near falls as he picks up the pace. He gets caught up top as MVP drop kicks him down. Hardy keeps punching through things and ends up with a side effect off the middle rope to a pop. MVP counters the twist of fate to a backslide, puts his seat on the ropes, but the ref sees it. MVP dodges another twist of fate as Cole talks up how well they know each other. MVP levels Hardy with a Yakuza kick, but Hardy falls outside. Hardy barely beats the count back in. MVP's all over him with crisp kicks. Hardy dodges another Yakuza kick and hits a twist of fate to win the title to get his big victory over MVP. And a super fun opener. A great finish, too, to pay off this long story, this injury. Cole says it's the first major singles win of Matt Hardy's career, and which is on point. It's a really cool moment. It felt like a good story unfolding as it went. MVP has come so far, and this match was proof, as both guys worked on even ground. It wasn't Hardy carrying him or right anything like that. It had a really good flow, and everything made sense. So, uh, Matty, I went three and a half. And do you think, like, what do we do with MVP now? Do we keep him
1: here, or do we move him up a level. Is he main event ready? Is he main event guy? Yeah, uh, I'm there with you. I'm a little bit lower than you on the match, but it was a good opener. I went three stars on it. Uh, It it was definitely time for MVP to drop the U.S. title. He had been the champion for a year at this point. And I mean, there was a good portion of it where he was hurt, but still, it was was definitely time. And uh, Matt Hardy makes sense, given the history between them. Uh, I I do think the match was a little bit more methodical to start than I would have liked. I would have liked to have given that, you know, it's a pretty heated feud, I think, had they really started out with it being a little bit more of a brawl. I think uh, I would have enjoyed it more. It was still good, but I, I would have liked to, seen, to have seen more of a brawl from them. As far as MVP, I mean, he definitely held his own in this match. And, I mean, maybe you can try... Uh, giving you know moving him up a little bit but i i think the problem is when you look at who the champion is right now on smackdown i i think on paper uh, that that wouldn't really do vp any favors i mean they could end up presenting him as an equal to taker but i i don't know if it would necess- i think it's a situation where it may do mvp more in harm than good at this point maybe eventually they'd get there but uh, at this point i'm not so sure but yeah, this was a this was a good opener. Uh, the right guy won. It was time for MVP to uh, drop the title. So three stars for me on this one.
0: Yeah, I gave this. I like this match a lot. I gave it three three quarters. Uh, I mean, it was a uh, JR J- 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 and I have completely documented this amazing um, story that was told all the way back to last year. You know, just after Mania. Um, In 2007, you know, Matt, after, uh, you know, the MVP, you know, got the belt off of Benoit, um, this was a big, uh, a big feud for for MVP to really be the aggressor where he seemed to kind of just be the cocky asshole to Benoit. Uh, MVP was much more of an aggressor in this feud. and And he became Matt. Matt became very sympathetic and became almost as over as his brother is on the other brand. Um, And then, of course, he, you know, left for a while to rehab and and then the pop he gets at the the Citrus Bowl when he helps uh, when he uh, uh, gives the twist to fade off the ladder is pretty awesome, actually. And I enjoyed this match. I agree with you, Suze. It might have been a little methodical in the beginning, but I think at this point, psychologically, I think MVP just wanted to grind Matt Hardy into dust and uh, maybe work the leg over as well. So. I was fine with it, but I thought it was a really good match. I think MVP, I agree with you, Jr. He doesn't need his handheld anymore. He he knows what's going on in there. Uh, and Matt's, it, you know, in some cases for a wrestler like MVP, Matt is an easier guy to work with than even Jeff, uh, because Jeff doesn't really have that. And I've always said this about Jeff, he doesn't have that kind of in-between move move psychology that Matt does. So I think this is even a better guy for uh, for uh, for MVP to face. So. Um, I thought it was a great match. I thought it was a great culmination. Crowd was hot when, uh, when Matt won the title. So I, I enjoyed the match a lot. It was really good. And I, as for MVP, time will tell. I mean, can he be elevated? I mean, uh, I don't know if he fit. I mean, obviously being on SmackDown, he could he might be able to inject himself into the world title picture with Taker Edge and that kind of thing. I could see that. I don't think he'd work very much on Raw. His you know his personality doesn't you know that kind of of. Um, Gimmick wouldn't fit right now with what's going on there with Orton and Triple H and all that. I think he'd be he'd be much better on SmackDown. So if they're thinking of elevating him, he's on the right brand to do it. So we'll see what happens. You know, he'd be a good option if they if the belt goes
2: you know onto Edge and they wanted to turn him face like something like that could work. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: good idea. I agree with that.
2: That works. All right, Jey and the King reset us. Uh, we then go to Eve backstage, talks to Hardy. He's emotional about his massive win. He's got he's had lots of gold before, but nothing is this level. He said Hardy says I am better to you than you to MVP, which is a great payoff to the feud, which is, of course, the crux of it, that they're always trying to one up each other. So it was a really cool payoff to the whole thing. Adam Lee and the Taz set up our ECW title match, which is Kane defending his newly won ECW title against Chavo Guerrero. Scott, how did we get here? Well,
0: of course, this is the rematch of that uh, super uh, Brett versus Sean Iron Man match at WrestleMania that lasted a whopping 11 seconds. Uh, On the April 1st episode of ECW, Kane had an in-ring promo regarding his battle royal and uh, ECW world title win at Mania. Moments later, CM Punk interrupted and alluded that he could, if he wanted, cash in his Money in the Bank title match immediately. So Chavo appeared at the stage entrance and said Kane beating him at WrestleMania was a fluke. After Punk made fun of the fact Chavo now held the record for the shortest WrestleMania match, Chavo said he would beat Kane in the rematch. The following week on April 8th, an in-ring contract signing for the world title match between Kane and Chavo for tonight, Backlash. Chavo was escorted to the ring by Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins with Estrada overseeing the signing. After Kane signed, Chavo said he would, have, he would have someone watching his back at Backlash with an unknown man in a suit then coming out as Kane fought off Chavo, Hawkins, and Ryder. The mystery man laid Kane out and hit Kane in the face with the title belt. The man, Hawkins, and Ryder held Kane down on the contract signing table allowing Chavo to hit a frog splash off the top through the table. The mystery man was, uh, that's right, Bam Neely. Awful. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I didn't realize uh, Don Maloney was the fucking creative director at WWE in 2008. Fucking Gord Kluzak. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: Jesus Christ. Terry O'Reilly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, on the April 22nd ECW, Kane was on the cutting edge. Uh, Kane was beaten down uh, by Hawkins, Ryder, Guerrero, Edge, and Neely to end the segment. As the other men held Kane down, Chavo repeatedly hit Kane over the knee with a steel chair before leaving the ring. So, there we go. All right,
2: so we get into this WrestleMania rematch. Chavo still in the title picture for some reason. Doesn't feel necessary, but uh, there has to be others, right? Of course, he is Edge's lackey, and as a result of that, he is still in the mix. Kane's an odd fit. ECW just feels lost in the wind. Like We talked about this a bit at Mania, but why is Kane here as champion? There's other guys we could be using. It's just, it's just, they don't seem to know what they want to be still.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Chavo's got Bam Neely with him, like we meant, like mentioned a minute ago. We see highlights of Kane telling Edge. The only remaining family member after Backlash will be Vicky. Of course, he can get jumped 5-on-1, like you talked about. Usual pop for Kane, who is favoring his left leg uses power early to smack Chavo around, grabs a hangman neckbreaker. Taz is carrying this in commentary. Adamly gets a few comments in here and there. Kane press Chavo, but Chavo lands a shot on the leg and breaks Kane down. He starts to kick away. Taz says Chavo thinks Mania was a fluke, and uh, Kane flicks him over the top rope like a piece of trash as he says it. Chavo gets a baseball-side drop kick, but Kane shrugs it off and spikes Chavo into the edge of the apron. Chavo takes a shot at the knee again and gets back to work in and out of the ring. Kane does a good job selling and tries to fight Chavo off during his offense. Neely gets a shot in as well as Taz is now trolling Adam Lee. Chavo keeps on the knee until Kane fights him off and hits an electric chair. Chavo comes right back, but Kane sits up and starts to work through his offense. Chavo still hangs in and fights through it and actually gets two on a Tornado DDT. Does whatever he can with that knee to try and steal this, but Kane eventually counters a Frog Splash with a Choke and finishes him with a Choke Slam to a big pop. This is, uh, I guess, whatever. Like, it worked fine. Kane's selling was good. Chavo executed well enough. It just felt low stakes. It's hard to care much about this. The third brand title feud. I think we get to shift gears on ECW. We need an identity. This feels like a lowest level raw feud at best. Uh, I would say they overdelivered. I'll give them that. But there's really just not much cooking here. So Sky went two and a half. And I don't even know how you fix ECW at this point. But it just feels like very aimless. Very what's the point?
0: Uh, I agree. Uh, Your are uh, the... Uh, Two stars for uh, for me. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, ECW just seems like an extension of SmackDown. That's pretty much all it feels like. Um, and there's no ba- – uh, ECW needs to go back to what it was in 2006, maybe without the gimmicks like, you know, a zombie or whatever. Uh, your match time, by the way, the opener, Matt and MVP, just to, just to catch up, was 11-24. Uh, and uh, Kane and Chavo was eight forty nine. Um. Uh. Yeah. I. I really feel like ECW doesn't seem like ECW anymore. Now it just seems like like a, an extension of SmackDown. It's almost like it's uh. I don't know. Like like Afterburn or Velocity or something. I, yeah. It's, yeah.
2: That's exactly you know, what it feels like. It's,
0: yeah. Ch- Chavo. It's not even its old brand anymore. It's just a weird yeah. amalgamation of things. Yeah. Chavo. Uh, Chavo, uh, it just doesn't belong in, in a main event feud. I mean, this, I think the only reason they, they made him ECW champion, um, was to kind of piggyback the whole edge and Vicky and all that. I think it was just to kind of make them like a little cross promotion yeah, faction kind of thing. That's all thing. they did. Yeah. He was just, he was just writing some coattails. uh, Kane. I mean, look at you. Kane gets rewarded. You know, he doesn't usually get much. He kind of just is there. So giving him a championship, you know, is kind of nice for him. But uh, other than that, Suze, I mean, the match was all right. But JR is right. ECW needs to get back to being ECW instead of just some th- uh, another promo- another brand for leftover guys to fuck around in.
1: Yeah, that, that's definitely what ECW feels like at this point. It, it feels like uh, since Punk has kind of been, uh, quote-unquote, called up, for lack of a better term, they mm-hmm. just haven't had anybody to replace him on the face side, and they're trying to do it with Kane, and it's not working, because I, I thought this was terrible. This this bored the hell out of me. This was eight minutes long. It felt like 28 minutes. Uh, way, too, way too long. A lot longer than the Mania match, uh, and not better. Uh, Chavo doing limb work is not a thing I wanted or needed at this point. I mean, uh, Kane sold it well enough, but uh, it's just meh. And, uh, the fin- I thought the finish was real stupid too. Kane catches him with the choke slam after Chavo hits the frog splash. So he <laughs> took the frog splash and then Kane hits him with the cho- catches him and hits him with the choke slam. Yeah, just a, a dumb finish to a really dull match. And uh, yeah, the ECW e- is in a a real rough way right now. And the title picture is an absolute mess. And, uh, the only other note I have here is, uh, Bam Neely is a guy I haven't thought about probably <laughs> know, since, right? two, probably since 2008. So, uh, yeah, uh, uh, I, I didn't like this one bit. I only want a star and a half on it. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was shaky. And, and, you know, you can even argue like, okay, it's
2: in the spirit of ECW to have, you know, veterans come down and rehab a bit and help other guys. But this, mm-hmm doesn't feel like it's really building to anything like we don't mm-hmm. have a young up-and-comer in the mix ready to take right. out Kane you know Punk kind of was in that role but they really never fully committed to him because I think they knew he was coming up mm-hmm. but he was in ECW for two years and they never really strapped him as the guy right I know he kind of led the um they did the old you know new blood stuff or whatever it was in 07 but it was mm-hmm. like new breed. brief Uh, but he just never felt like while he was there and kind of the guy, he just never felt like they really strapped it to him. And then to have Chavo be the dude to kind of end his run just felt weird. And I don't know. There's just, I I think there's something there that just haven't committed to doing it right yet. Mm -hmm. All right. Todd Grisham's with Randy Orton, who talks about surviving all of his adversity yet still reigning on as champion and something he will continue to do again tonight. Cole and Foley then set up our next match, and we get a tale of the tape for our Battle of the Giants with The Big Show
0: taking on Great Khali. Scott, why don't you tell us about what got us here? On the April 4th SmackDown, Khali cut an in-ring promo. Oh, good Lord. On The Big Show, with show appearing and coming face-to-face with Khali, and Khali then leaving the ring. The following week on April 11th, the show opened with an in-ring segment in which The Great Khali was surrounded in the ring by several people having a Punjabi celebration. With a spokesman then saying Kali had a peace offering for the big show before their conflict became worse. As Kali began to speak to show, show appeared, scaring everyone from the ring except Kali. Kali then offered show water from the desert, a bottle of scotch, a live chicken, and a goat. Hmm. Sounds like St. Mary's about 10 years ago. <laughs> show then offered his hand to Kali to shake, which he did before show knocked him out with a punch and left the ring. And on the April 18th SmackDown, the Big Show de- defeated Mark Henry via DQ when the great Khali appeared and began brawling with show ringside. Khali uh, threw show into the ring steps and dropped him with the tree slam inside the ring. Following the commercial break, footage was shown of show uh, crawling out of the ring. So typical big man, big man stuff. And Kind of a cool match here. I, th- I think, you know, they are using Khali
2: as a spectacle here coming off his of title reign. It's kind of the next evolution. And it, why not do something like this? You got the two Giants. Foley takes another shot at Coach. He's really been laying him in all night. <laughs> Poor Coach, uh, whose spot he took. Cole talks about how Khalid's been mis- uh, manhandling Show. He's rolling solo here. And then we get a good pop for Show, who's really maintained that face status uh, or regain it, I guess, post Floyd Mayweather in uh, that feud. I will say this, Well, it seems cool on paper it feels like a little bit of a, okay, like show came back at the big push. Was it meant to launch him <clears throat> into a big role or was it meant to be a big payday for him? And then he just goes back to where he was, right? Like that's mm-hmm. kind of the question. And what we'll see being a pivot point for him crowds behind show. We get obligatory stare down to show off their size shows is still in great shape here. We get a lot of shoving, some punches from both spiraling into a headbutt war. Kali lands the first rattling shot. He puts show to his knees Kicks away. Kali just keeps clubbing at Show as he feeds for him. Show gets knocked to the floor. Kali follows and posts him. Foley thinks Show came back to He have to, to prove he's a true giant. Kali works the back of the ring and actually grabs a crossface of all moves. Kali releases that, goes to a nerve hold. Foley and Cola trying to add some psychology, but it's a very simplistic match. Kali chops Show down for two, goes to a surfboard, trying to wear Show down. Show battles back and slams Kali for two in a pretty cool looking spot. Kali takes control and sets up a tree slam, but Show breaks the grip and hits a choke slam for the win and a pretty cool finish, honestly. I think this is fine. Show's increased dexterity uh, really played a good role here as he fed and bumped around, and he's definitely more uh, in better shape, and you can tell he's feeling better than he was when he left a couple years ago. Really made Kali's offense look good. Kali hustled too, but he's so limited. He can only do so much, and I like the finish. I th- this is actually a nice outing for Show. Gives you some good vibes for maybe what he can do now that he's back in shape. And uh, you know, rehabbed a bit after a couple of years off. So, Matt, I wish you went two stars on this. I don't know what else you can do with Kali from here, but you know, mm-hmm. this as a spectacle match was was pretty fine.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I was surprised by this. I mean, it's it still, like, star rating-wise wasn't great. Like, I, I went a star and a half on it, but mm. this is a very different star and a half than the t- star and a half I, gained, I gave Kane and Chavo. I mean, th- this was a pure novelty match, and a star and a half for this is better than I thought it was going to be because I was kind of expecting this to be, like, all-time bad, but it really wasn't. And it, you said it. I mean, Kali is very limited at what he could do, but you can see that he was working hard. Just, there's only so much the guy... I can do in the state he's in right now, but yeah, uh, I, I thought this was pretty good. Shows in great shape, like you said. The chokeslam was impressive, so uh yeah, it, it was a pure novelty match, a pure spectacle match, but it was, uh, uh, for these two guys, it was a pretty good one, so star and a half for
0: me. Uh, I gave it two stars uh, with JR. Your match time was actually 8.05, which is much longer than I thought it was going to be, but... Uh, yeah, I had no issues with this. Uh, this was definitely, uh, like I, there was no way 2000, like six big show could have done this match. He, he'd have died. No, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, he, he needed to be in, in the shape to kind of help Kali carry along. I think this is just Kali. You could you can kind of tell it's probably like Kali's farewell run here. Just get some big matches on pay-per-view with some certain guys that he could you know, maybe look pretty good against. And, and then, uh, cause you could see that his knees and his hips are just shot right now. Um, other than that, I thought it was a pretty standard big man match. Nothing too offensive. Good spot on the card. Uh, before we get to some of the more important stuff later on, so uh, that's pretty much all I have. It's just a good two star big man match. Didn't overstate's welcome, although I thought eight minutes was a bit much, but it didn't seem like it until I just looked at the at the at the total. Um, yeah, no fun fun little match and nice you know nice win for show and Kali. You know uh, did the best he could. And Big Show helped him along pretty well. And, uh, again, uh, pretty unoffensive for a big man match. John Cena is talking country music
2: with Jimmy Wang Yang when Randy Orton shows up to talk some shit like a creeper, just kind of whispering at him. Cena thinks otherwise of the champ. JR on the King Reset, they plug the AT&T wireless text poll about our main event. And then we get a recap video for our next match, which is Shawn Michaels taking on... Batista, uh, Scott, this has been a pretty interesting build to get to
0: this big time match. You want to tell us about it? Uh, yes. Uh, the conflict began uh, right after Shawn Michaels defeated uh, Ric Flair at WrestleMania the following night in a backstage segment. Uh, William Regal said Shawn Michaels did what he had to do and it should have been done a long time ago. William Regal walked off and Shawn Michaels turned and saw Batista standing there with a mean scowl. On the April 4th SmackDown, Michaels did an in-ring promo, which he spoke of Flair's farewell address until Batista appeared and said he was taking Flair's retirement personally. Batista said Michaels' ego got in the way and that Michaels was the most selfish man he knew for not laying down for Flair. He then referenced Michaels calling Flair old yeller, dropped the mic, and left Michaels alone uh, in the ring. Uh, My page just Hold on a minute. Uh, In the ring. On the April 7th Raw... Uh, Batista and Michaels were guests of Chris Jericho on the highlight reel. A poll had been posted earlier, and it was announced 65% of the fans who texted thought Michaels did the right thing at WrestleMania. Jericho argued that perhaps Michaels wasn't as sorry as he pretended at the end of the match, with Batista blaming Michaels' ego for his actions. After Jericho uh, questioned whether Batista wouldn't have done the same in the same situation, Batista said he wouldn't. Michaels then said Batista should have talked Flair out of the match when he had the chance. And the reason Flair picked him instead of Batista was Flair knew Batista didn't have the nerve. Batista said he trusted Michaels to do the right thing and would have, would never trust him again with Michaels, then challenging Batista to do something if he didn't like what he did. And Batista saying he already had Batista then left the ring to booze backstage. Regal announced uh, after speaking with Vicky Guerrero, that it would be Michaels and Batista at backlash on the April 11th. Smackdown, Batista and Shawn Michaels had an in-ring segment regarding their upcoming match, uh, during which Batista admitted his issue with Michaels went beyond what happened at WrestleMania and said he didn't like Michaels getting to the top by stabbing people in the back. Michaels responded by saying he did what he had to do, with Michaels then attempting the superkick and Batista attempting the sit-down powerbomb until Michaels slid out of the ring. And on the April 14th Raw, uh, Shawn Michaels did an in-ring promo regarding the upcoming match with Batista Backlash. Moments later, Ric Flair's theme music hit with Chris Jericho eventually appearing blaming Michaels for the fact that music would never be heard again, and then said Batista thinks Michaels is a phony. Jericho then said somewhere deep inside, Michaels enjoyed ending Flair's career, just like he enjoyed screwing Bret Hart and turning on Marty Gennetti. (laughs) Great Jericho there. After Jericho questioned whether Michaels himself came up with the winner retire stipulation to Flair, Michaels dropped Jericho with a super kick. Later in the night, Jericho met with Regal and said he now wanted to be part of the Michaels versus Batista match Backlash with Regal naming him the guest referee. And finally, on the April 18th SmackDown, The highlight reel featured Batista. Batista argued over Jericho being the referee for the upcoming match. Jericho then asking whether Batista wanted to retire Ric Flair himself as a reason why Batista was so upset with Michaels. After Jericho asked the crowd whether Batista was more selfish than Michaels, Batista dropped Jericho with the sit-down powerbomb. So, uh, pretty deep stuff. typical for a Shawn Michaels feud, but uh, pretty deep stuff there. Yeah, it's,
2: it's a great feud. It was super inspired to go this route uh it, it feels organic it felt personal and these are guys that needed something to get into like something intense batista we talked about scott felt rudderless he had a million matches with, without a taker uh for the title then he had that kind of uh, aimless match of Umaga mania and it was kind of like what next and this just made all the sense of the world flair was his mentor uh you know his running buddy the guy that taught him everything a legend he loves him And Michaels didn't have to do what he did, right? He could have laid down and left Flair, continue on. And Batista's mad about it. It's such a simple feud and so effective. And putting Jericho in here, too, gives him something to do, because he's another guy that seemed a little lost. Uh, He seemed to maybe get the ship straightened out around mania time, but definitely a guy that um, needed something to dig into. So an interesting feud. It feels organic. Uh, Again, it's a good use of these dudes. Batista needed something outside of the title, Michaels needed that follow-up to Flair. Jericho needed to keep regaining his sea legs. Jared talks about Jericho's known to have agendas and wonders what could be in play here. Big pop for Batista as he stalks out very focused, which King notes. Sean gets his usual ovation as well for the big battle. Jared talks about Sean's black eye from their brawl as we ease in. Sean peppers the start, but Batista swats him off and we reset, and it's all Batista from there. Pushing through any offense, mauling Sean, focused on revenge. Sean comes back and tries to work the arm in the mat. Batista keeps using power to counter. Good little battle over a key lock on the mat that ends with both men tumbling outside. Sean shoves Batista to the post, beats on the arm, picks up Sean, and twists into various submissions while also taking shots at the arm with strikes and snap. Batista's selling is on point. Jaron King do a good job as well, staying on point, telling the story of how the arm work is going to affect Batista's power. He buys some time with a Samoan drop, but Sean is right back on him until Batista smashes him with a clothesline. A fun structure here to the match. Batista flows into his power attack as the crowd turns on him, but Sean squirms free and hooks a crossface. That lasts for a while, but Batista survives. We get our first argument between Sean and Jericho, who has called things pretty down the middle batista uses power moves with one arm he looks great doing it makes him look so strong he gets a super close near fall on a spear they keep uh trading desperation strikes until sean gets the big elbow lined up sets up Sweet of music but batista counters to a spine buster and loads up batista bomb but sean counters that collapses as his knee gives out jericho pushes batista back to check on sean who's hurt and favoring his knee batista backs off but he walks over sean pops up and he finishes him off with sweet chin music. Sean sells Denny after the match, as Jericho and another ref help him hobble out. It was really fun. It was a cool structure and unique setting, with Batista taking the heat and the arm work. Batista selling is so crisp and on point, and Sean mixed up his offense well. The closing stretch was really good, too. Jericho playing it straight, but also having some story development, as he looks kind of skeptical at the end about the knee injury. Uh, was a nice touch. Batista takes a tough loss, but he looked great. Uh, and we'll see, of course, that this is a story that's going to continue. So, Scott, I thought it was a really fun match. I went three and a half, and I'm looking forward to see how this all continues
0: to evolve. Uh, I agree. Uh, three and a half for me, your match time, and even uh, 16 minutes. So, good good length. Um, great match. I, I think this match is just as important for uh, Batista as it is for uh, Sean, because, you know, Batista, uh, you know, Sean's a guy that... that uh, you know, could really test Batista's ability and it's it's a fresh matchup that we haven't seen, so that was good. Um you know, Sean's always great at at pop you know, pinballing for big guys. I like the addition of uh, I like the addition of Jericho kind of into the into the story because, you know, he's always a shit stirring son of a bitch. So it worked out well that he kind of became like the uh, the you know trying to be the mediator here, but he was a shit stirrer himself. Um Lo- I love. Li- we- we've always said at JR through the years and Sue's about we miss ex- little eccentricities of uh, of storylines and the fact that they gave a close up of Jericho looking like oh, what is Sean up to? Uh, limp is. Eh. So I-, I just I enjoyed that a lot. Sue's great match, uh, three and a half uh, for me, um, and uh, it just it-, it made Batista look good because he he you know he kept up with a guy like Sean. And Sean's just an amazing storyteller, as he always is.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you guys. I went three and a quarter on this uh, super fun match. Uh, it, it's a match that Batista desperately needed at this point because like you, like you said. I mean, he's been he's been kind of floating around aimless since what Survivor Series. So I mm. mean, it, it's definitely a, a match that Batista needed uh, almost to the point. I do wonder, and I think. That maybe Batista should have won this match. That that's my only knock against this, because I mean, so far, and we'll get into it more later on. It's a pretty face heavy show as far as mm. wins go. So yeah. uh, I, I do think. Well Batista's it, a face too, though. I know he's kind
0: of slanted a little yeah, bit on the match, right. but it's yeah. more the reason. The reason I it's it's almost like because it's not only like Batista's a scumbag, but right. you know he he took very personally about Flair, and and it was a good Lynchpin thing. So I get what you're saying, Suze but. Mm. You know, this this is what makes the Shawn Michaels storyline so great is because you could take it from so many avenues.
1: Right. He's he's almost acting tweenerish instead of like white right. meat, white meat, baby face like everybody else that's won so far on the show. Right. But uh, yeah, I thought uh, HBK's arm work at the beginning was great. And I I thought the finishing sequence to this was uh, fantastic. So, yeah, a, a super fun match, a match that uh, Batista desperately needed. It's a big match for him and it's a it's a good match for him. So uh, three and a quarter for me. All right. Randy Orton is backstage. Now
2: he finds Triple H. He talks some shit to him as he did earlier. Fun watching Orton just kind of troll these guys stoically. (laughs) Real creepy. (laughs) Overall. Um, All right. We go on to our Diva 12 women tag match. Which pretty much features the entire I guess entire roster. At least a lot of it. uh, Peppered throughout this match. And on one side we have Beth Phoenix Jillian Hall. Layla Melina Natalia and Victoria. Taking on Ashley, Cherry, Kelly, Maria, Michelle, and Mickey James. It sounds like the DM- <laughs> What's the DMX song where It names all the girls? <laughs> oh, but that's, that's what it like. <laughs>
3: Ashley, Cherry, Kelly, Maria, Michelle, Mickey, Julia, dunna, and Layla. dunna. dunna. dunna.
2: Uh, anyway, here we go. Uh, <laughs> Mickey. Uh, we find out that Mickey upset Beth Phoenix in London two weeks ago. She is our new.
0: Women's champion, Scott, you want to tell us about any other build uh, coming into this match? Yes, uh, as you mentioned, because, uh, uh, you know, Beth was champion. I think she wanted it no way out, but uh, she loses on April 14th to Mickey. After the break, Ashley and Maria celebrated with Mickey at the en- stage entrance. Uh, Todd Grisham conducted an interview with Mickey in which she said words couldn't describe how she felt and then kissed Grisham. The following week on Raw, the 21st, featured an in-ring segment in which Maria, Cherry, Michelle, Ashley... <laughs> Uh, reintroduced <laughs> reintroduced WWE Women's Champion Mickey James as the new title holder with Mickey then appearing and celebrating with the other divas. Moments later, Mickey cut a promo on her title until she was interrupted by Beth uh, alongside Melina, and Victoria, Natalia, and Layla. Beth and Mickey her told Mickey her time as champion would be limited with Michelle slapping Beth and all the women brawling until the babyfaces sent the heels to the floor. And on the April 25th Smackdown, it was announced that WWE Women's Champion Mickie James, Melina, Kelly, Kelly, uh, well, would have this match. Natalia made her TV in ring debut on this episode of SmackDown, A infamous day in the history of this company. <laughs> so, so, still here. So, so,
1: yeah. So, God. Uh, 13 years. Here we go. <sighs>
0: right. Jesus.
1: <laughs> That's a it's
0: thing. 13 years. It's a long time. <laughs> well, like, so for comparison, Bret Hart
2: debuted uh, in what, early 85? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Lady and left at nine and seven. So Natalia's eclipsed that by two years already.
0: Jesus, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> God. <laughs> uh. when
0: yeah. When she going to start adding the to Oliver? I'm going to do an Instagram of the cat when I take on the cat with the Tyson, my the husband. Uh, forget it. Anyway, good. I think they could have probably done a total rematch here, um, but at least the division's filling up.
2: Right. So that mm-hmm. it's it's yes, it, it's a yep. proof. Mickey has a lot of swagger. Uh, good to see him keep her at the top of the division. King, of course, is horny within seconds. Michelle starts off and takes it to Beth the first. Beth overpowers as King says Michelle dominated Yahoo search yesterday, getting even more hits than the NFL Draft did. Odd, odd point. Uh, Melina is in. She dominates uh, Michelle as well. Michelle gets a nice seated drop kick and tags Mickey. It wakes the crowd up with some fire. She goes back and forth with Melina until Natalia tags in, making her pay-per-view debut. Mickey works her over, gets two on a neckbreaker. We get a lot of talk about Natty's family lineage as she slugs Cherry to the floor and tags Victoria. Mickey hits an enziguri as Cherry comes over and triggers a big brawl on the floor to a pop. They all brawl along the floor as Ashley and Jillian both tag in and reset. Beth kicks Ashley from the apron, tags in, and batters her. Ashley sneaks free, but Beth blocks a tag to keep control. Things break down. We get a flurry of finishes from all the Divas just coming in and taking each other out after the other to all get some shine, including a couple of tough-looking spots. And then we finally end with Beth finishing off Ashley with a Fisherman's Buster. Uh, This is fine. Everyone gets some shine. Everyone worked hard. The flow was good. The division showcase makes sense as we reset things a little bit. We could have used some personal issues, though to make this feel less uh, milquetoast. There's a clear divide in the division, but at least there's more viable workers than not, uh, which is a win. So I went two and a quarter, Matt. I I don't know. Would you have just done the Mickey title change here instead of London, instead of this, or are you kind of okay with the showcase match?
1: Yeah, I I went two stars on the match. It was fine. I, I mean i I guess if you want to get every single woman in the division on the car, right. then mis- then mission accomplished. But I mean, uh, to me, it would have made more sense if you just do the title change here. And I mean, uh, yeah, uh, it, it was fine. The crowd was uh, pretty hot for it. Uh, Natty's gear apparently was always bad. So that's not a recent development because it was rough <laughs> during this show. Um <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, it it was a pretty fun filler match. Everybody got their shit in. Uh, uh, I don't mind filler if it's fun filler. So, yeah, I mean, yes, it definitely would have been better had they just done the title change here. It probably would have been a better match. But for what they did, uh, this was perfectly fine. So, two stars. Uh,
0: Yeah, I mean, it it loaded up the roster. The roster was uh, was – you know, just showcased here. Um, I gave this just an even two. I mean, it was fine. Didn't overstate's welcome. Your match time was six and a half minutes, so not too bad. Um, I think they just wanted to showcase the division. You know, I I probably would have, I don't think it would have been a problem if you just did Beth Mickey here with Mickey winning. I don't think that would have been a problem Mm. either. Maybe, you know how they are with those London Raws. They usually like to throw something crazy Mm -hmm. in the mix. So, Um, but yeah, I mean, nothing earth shattering here. Just show all the we, I mean, you could tell who, like, the cream of the crop is and who, like, the leftovers are. Um, we really get to see the real best of the best next month. Uh, but this was fine. There's nothing, nothing earth-shattering here. Just, just a showcase of the division as a whole. All right. Let's keep rolling on. Uh, Michael Cole and Mick Foley reset.
2: We get some Ravens players in the crowd. As Cole says, they have a new coach and a great draft. Foley talks up the legacy of wrestling in Baltimore and sets up our title match. Was this uh, Harbaugh? Was he hired
1: in oh 0- eight?
0: 0- Had to be right. Mm, yeah. They have yeah. Is- yeah. Because they, yeah, they went to the Super Bowl in what twelve? So yeah. yeah. We know it's not Ted Machabrota. No, he was no. <laughs> no. Was he like ninety by then?
2: <laughs> oh, no, he's probably dead by then. Uh, yeah, he was hired in 08 Harbaugh. So this is this is him. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yep, draft. Yeah. <laughs> We get Undertaker Edge video package, and that sets up our next match between Undertaker and Edge. Scott, what's
0: going on to get us to this WrestleMania rematch? Uh, well, there really not many notes here because it's just a continuation of what's going on. Obviously, this is the rematch. On April 4th, SmackDown, Taker fought uh, the ECW world champion Kane to a no contest when Edge, Chavo, Kurt Hawkins, and Zack Ryder attacked both men. Uh, Taker and Kane sat up, cleared Hawkins and Ryder from the ring, and he cho- hit chokeslams and tombstones on Edge and Chavo, respectively, to end the show. On the April 18th SmackDown, Batista fought The Undertaker to a double countout in a non-title match when both men began brawling on the floor. Prior to the bout, Edge, Zack Ryder, and Kurt Hawkins took front row seats to watch the match. After the match, the two continued to brawl around ringside until Taker threw Edge over the barrier and into the ring. Taker and Batista scared Edge uh, from the ring and laid out Hawkins, Ryder, Chavo, and Bam Neely. So just continuation of what's been a pretty great feud.
2: All right. Uh, here's that draft. I will say it definitely t- t- worked out for them uh for sure their number one pick was pick 18 and that was quarterback joe flacco from the university of delaware there you go and their second pick was a running back from the university of rutgers named ray rice so regardless <laughs> of how things ended up for all right uh, <laughs> i mean those first two picks like that that set them up so i would agree with the king that was a pretty great draft uh they, they had some other good picks too but that's i mean just getting those two guys at the top of the draft definitely set right. them up for some success so Good on them. They've kept it going. For the second straight year, Undertaker kind of seems to be ambling into a lengthy feud post-mania with his title match opponent. Edge is still in the mix, ready for a rematch, using Vicky's power to his advantage. He's solo here. He's focused. Taker has his usual dramatic entrance. Title raptor around his waist. Crowd into it, as always. Cole asks Foley for insights on facing Taker. Pretty cool touch, uh, given, obviously, his history with him. The crowd is hot for Taker as we open with some quick strikes and counters with Edge doing whatever he can to avoid a big blow. Cole also talks about how Edge knows how he can beat Taker, but Foley says Edge also felt that finisher at Mania. He knows how deadly it can be. Edge starts to take over, but Taker fights him off. He's right back to the arm. Cole and Foley talk about Taker's evolution and style over the years. Edge knocks Taker to the floor and leaps, but Taker catches him and posts him and rolls through his offense. Edge cannot get anything going. Edge is finally able to snap Taker down to the mat, gets in on the lower back for now for his attack focused on strikes and submission attempts to wear down the champ including a camel clutch good talk about how edge is taking out back uh, taking out the back eliminating the big moves of taker we get a double clothesline to take both guys out but takers up first he unloads a flurry grabs some near falls edge tries to battle back but taker yanks him off the top and heads up himself but misses an elbow edge counters a choke slam with a Russian leg sweep for two it pushes along at the same methodical place pace down the stretch Edge goes up top, but Taker throws him to the mat for two. Taker tries to set up the tombstone, but Edge grabs the turnbuckle pad and tears it off. Shoves Taker to the steel. Taker recovers and sets up a tombstone, but out comes Kurt Hawkins and smashes Taker with the belt. Taker counters the spear to a DDT as we're picking up now. Taker sets up a Choke chokeslam, but Zack Ryder comes out. Taker shoves Edge into him. Taker loads up the last ride. Edge slips out into a sunset flip, but Taker pulls him into the Hell's Gate. And Edge taps out after trying to hang in. Taker hangs on to the hold edge passes out and he's bleeding from his mouth. Teddy long wheels out Vicky Guerrero. She's crying and watches with Ryder as They load him onto a stretcher and edge out of the arena. Uh, I thought this was solid. I think it's a little bit behind mania had a slower pace and some ambling, but I thought the focus was fine edge just didn't feel like much of a threat overall. Like it just, it just doesn't feel like he has what it takes to beat undertaker. He gets beat clean again. And you feel like this should be it for them. But with that finish and that post-match and Vicky coming out, you figure something else is going to happen. So uh, Scott went three and a half. Uh, I thought it was good, a uh, very good, not, not close to great though. And like, does edge still have juice to continue this feud?
0: Uh, I gave this match a three and a quarter. Your match time, uh, 1923. I thought that mm-hmm. was uh, a little long. Well, and it followed the uh, mania
2: pattern too. Is my last note. Like it, it started slow, and it's really the second half it picks up, and this seems to maybe become
0: a trend now with them.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I always say this about Edge. Uh, and I've said this for years, way back, even in the old, you know, in the previous vaults. Uh, Edge is a guy that kind of adapts and. He could do all sorts of different things. He could wrestle high flyer. Maybe not as much now as he used to, but he's a grinder. He's a striker. He could do whatever your opponent, his opponent wants to do. Um, but yeah, this might be the case where like. The aura of Taker just doesn't seem to. Work for edge like Taker and the, Taker being involved in this in this uh, uh, like. You know, this Edge, Vicky, like all this nonsense, like this doesn't feel like this should be Taker. Like I could see Batista involved in this mess or somebody else. Taker just doesn't fit in all of this like drama and all this bullshit. Like it just doesn't seem like him. Maybe that's a, a maybe it's a victim or a, a consequence of his gimmick. But it just felt really uh, I don't know. I On the one hand, yes, I, I feel like Edge is not a guy that Taker should be scared of, and on the other hand, I feel like Taker should not be involved in, you know, these weird feuds with, you know, girlfriends and all this other bullshit. It seems very un. It doesn't doesn't seem like a Taker feud. Having said that, the match at Mania was great. Um, I mean, I gave that match. Uh, let me see what did I give that match. Um, I mean, I gave it three and a half. Mm-hmm. This match I gave just slightly less, like you did. I gave it. I think you gave the mania match three and a half too. Yeah, we both did. So we both knocked a quarter point. I gave it three and a quarter. Um, yeah, I mean, edge is one of those guys, like, you know how you were talking earlier, Suze about like, you wanted the, the Matt Hardy, uh, MVP match to kind of get off quick. I feel like edge matches needed to need to get off quick or else you're going to get that opening act of just kind of drudge. I kind of felt that with this match, but it definitely picked it up late. Uh, You know, the the, we get the uh, awesome, you know, uh, uh, you know, Ken Shamrock internal bleeding spit. Uh, But uh, I, I was fine. But I do question whether we're done here. You know, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, uh, I went three and a quarter on this like you, Scott. It, it was definitely missing something that the Mania match had. Uh, it, it started out, it, w- it was pretty tedious to start, and even the crowd, which I think has been pretty good overnight overall, they were kind of sitting on their hands for the start of it, which for an Undertaker match is probably bad. <laughs> but yeah, I just it, it finally picked up by the end of it, but... It, it it was definitely missing something that the the uh, the mania match had uh, the fake blood that edge spit out was among maybe the worst i have ever seen it looked like ketchup or finger paint it was it was a really bad looking <laughs> and it's, it somehow like ended up all over his cheek it, it was real rough but yeah, I, I think the ending uh, helped pick this up, but uh, yeah, definitely uh, sort of like I said for the U.S. title match, way too methodical to start. This should have been more than a brawl. Uh, as for uh, this feud, I mean, Edge has lost twice now to Taker pretty pretty decisively. I mean, yeah, you had the Edge heads interfere both times, but... Uh, I don't know. He's, he's passed out twice. He's like, uh, are we going to run it back for a third time? We'll see. It, it feels like this should probably be it and they should move on to something else. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, uh, the mania match is certainly better. This is fine, but it's, uh, it, it's not, well, it's better than fine. It's good, mm-hmm. but it's not as good as the mania match. So three and a quarter for me,
3: hmm.
1: All right, Randy Orton goes
2: to visit JBL, but CM Punk slides by and wishes him luck, of course, as our Money in the Bank contract holder. J.R. on the King over a poll results. The fans have weighed in. They predict John Cena to win at 48%. Triple H had 36% of the vote. Randy Orton at 12%. And poor old JBL coming in at 4%. Which I think, I'd I'd even gather that was probably kayfabed up from zero. for him. Uh, We get our duty title match video package. And Scott, why don't you set us up for our big main event of John Cena, Triple
0: H, and JBL challenging Randy Orton. Well, uh, on the Raw after WrestleMania, Orton did an in-ring promo regarding his win in Orlando until he was interrupted by JBL, who claimed Orton's title reign was due to luck. JBL then issued a challenge to Orton before leaving ringside. On the April 7th Raw, William Regal announced that Randy Orton would defend against JBL at Backlash. After introducing both men, Regal was interrupted by Triple H, who claimed it was a busy, it was a lousy main, <laughs> it was a lousy main event that Orton didn't really beat anyone at WrestleMania because he didn't do anything to Cena to get the win and that JBL didn't deserve the match because all he had done since returning was slap a midget. That was good. Uh, Regal then announced that Triple H would face Orton and JBL in a handicap match later in the show with the stipulation being that if he won, he would be included and it would become a triple threat. Triple H pinned Orton with the pedigree in that match, earning a spot in the match at Backlash. After the bout, William Regal, who sat ringside for the match announced it would be JBL versus Triple H versus Orton. Until John Cena appeared and argued that since he had beaten the other three men in the past, then he too should be in the Backlash main event. Regal then ordered that Cena face JBL and Triple H later in the show, and if he won, then he could be in the match. Of course, Cena pinned JBL after Orton, who was at ringside, dropped JBL with the RKO behind the ref's back after JBL knocked Orton down on the floor. Late in the match, Triple H and JBL brawled in the ring and to the floor after Triple H refused to tag in. Cena was added to the backlash match with the win, and on the April 23rd, uh, I'm sorry, April 21st Raw, the match was changed to a fatal four-way elimination match. So there you go.
2: All right, Big time match. Basically a WrestleMania rematch uh, with JBL elevated into the title picture to fill it out. We get elimination rules. We'll see if Warren can keep this rain going. It's been an epic one for him. Classic Triple H entrance. It gets a good pop. JBL does feel forced here. The crowd doesn't Seem to be buying in. Cena does get a good pop, though. Usual split reaction. Big time fighter. Oren gets a closing entry and shows how far he's come. He's grown into this role he feels earned to be the last guy out. Oren tries to use the belt to start, but JBL kicks him to the floor. Stooges around and grabs a chair. We're off and running. Lots of punching from all as they split off and take turns. Crowd fully split on Cena. Cena attacks Orton for the floor, but he ends up getting knocked out. Off the apron into the announce table, JBL and Orton double up on Triple H, but he fights through it and knocks JBL to the floor. Orton slams a shoulder into the post. Hunter goes out, and batters JBL on the floor. Cena recovers and knifes through Orton in the ring, hitting a top rope leg drop and hooking the STFU. JBL comes in, is going to make the save, but he stops and mocks Orton instead. Finally, someone's working smart. Let let the finish happen there. But as he talks shit, Triple H comes in and grabs the crossface on JBL. Both guys break free. Eventually, we reset. JBL starts to take control, dominating Orton and Triple H as Cena recovers. Orton rallies back, heads up top, but JBL crotches him. Decent little mini-match here with these guys. JBL loads up a superplex, but Cena and Triple H come over and powerbomb him down through the superplex as both guys survive covers. Cena and Triple H end up in a slugfest with the crowd split again on Cena as he controls the battle. Hunter comes back and gets a Spinebuster, loads up the pedigree, but JBL gets in the way. Hunter avoids an FU, but Cena rattles JBL with, with one, and Triple H tries the pedigree, but Cena dumps him outside he grabs the STFU on JBL, and he taps out to get eliminated. Cena keeps the hold on it to and comes in and punts him in the head and eliminates him as well. Pretty wild moment there. Everyone seems shocked that Cena goes out as quickly as he did uh, right after the JBL elimination. So him and JBL are gone. We are now down to Orton and Triple H. Orton immediately pounces on Hunter. He takes control, but Hunter slings him outside to the floor. Follows, but things backfire as Orton slings him into the ring. Suplexes him back to the floor. That looks like get hurt. Orton stomps away, lays in some precision, strikes in the ring, totally working his pace and at attack, pushing through comeback attempts. Orton cranks a tight headlock as we nudge along. Loads up an RKO, but Hunter shoves him hard to the mat. Hunter starts to mash Orton running through his offense and heads outside, flinging him into the announce table. Orton tries to set up a pilot driver on the steps, but Hunter slips free. Leg scoops Orton and smashes hard back on them. Hunter's feeling it as he nice to the champ, but ends up walking to an RKO after dodging a first attempt. Orton seems rattled as he tries to figure out what to do next. He lines up a punt, but Hunter dodges it, tries a pedigree. Orton counters that, tries an RKO. Hunter twists him into the pedigree and finally hits it and finishes him to win the world title and end Randy Orton's reign. I thought it was a pretty good all in the scene. Elimination was a great shock. Hunter and Orton got to have their own match at the end. And Hunter, I think was ready to get the belt back. He's really been working hard since the return. Orton's been awesome as champion. We'll see how he can stay relevant. Now that he's fully elevated as a main event star This really didn't go next level, but I thought it stayed really steady the whole way. So I went three and a half stars,
1: Matt. Do you think this is the right time to end Orton's reign? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't have any real issue with Triple H winning here. I mean, Orton's been molten hot for pretty much this entire title reign, but it, it, I, I guess it was time to do the switch. I mean, you could always put it back on Orton next month if they really wanted to. But here at this point, it, it probably makes sense to have him, uh, to have Triple H win it here. Uh, my main gripe with this match is that uh, is the structure of the whole thing? Like, uh, I didn't like Triple H and Orton going basically 20 minutes and having their own separate match here. Like, I-, I really liked this match when it was the four guys just throwing bombs, sort of like what the Backlash 07 main event was, where it was just mm-hmm. four guys going crazy. Like, I-, I thought that was really fun, but I think the match fell off once they eliminated Cena and JBL. And I, I-, I get having to take out. Cena, because I, I I think it's you know uh, well known that Cena came back early <laughs> from the uh, from the the uh, the tear there, and he's he's not really going full bore yet. So if you got to get him out early, that's fine. But I would have liked to have seen a triple threat match, even if it's for you know five six minutes with uh, Orton, JBL, Triple H. I think that could have been really interesting, be- because I think. The Triple H Orton portion of this match, uh, this match, parts of it were really dull where like there was a headlock. And and, I mean, the crowd was relatively hot for most of it. But like if you're going to have them go 18 minutes, then just do a singles match. That's kind of how I I looked at it for this. So, I mean, the match was technically fine. Fine. I'm lower than you. I went three stars on it. But, uh, yeah, it it was missing something for me. It was more the structure of the match that bugged me more than anything. The match was technically fine, and I have little issue with Triple H winning. I mean, he's – with Cena not being 100% still, I mean, Triple H is the biggest face they have right now, so it makes sense to put the title on him. But it it was more the structure of this match than anything that kind of – Threw me off, so it, technically fine, but uh, yeah, I, I think it could have been a lot better had they changed things around a little bit. So three stars for me.
0: Um, I I, I struggled with this, so I decided to go with the uh the Meltzer method. And I gave this thirteen stars. Um, I know I didn't. Um, twenty eight eleven your match time. I think what nineteen of it was Triple H and ten, 10 Orton by themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much um, Nah, I gave it um, I gave it three and a quarter I actually gave it a little less than JR um, It was okay I gotta be honest, I didn't hate it Obviously
3: It's amazing how you knocked me off my
0: Been a long time since uh, adding another chapter to the legacy, and you has to stay SD. We can't, we can't sauce that up. It's got to stay.
3: Okay, oh,
0: oh, <laughs> oh, go. Otis Day in the Nights. <laughs> <laughs> the times, the times. <laughs> oh God. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was okay. Um, I mean, this is the third straight, yeah, it's pretty much the third straight backlash that we have a multi-person main event that Cena's in. He's pretty much in all of them. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a way to, you know, get everybody in on the match, but it was obviously they were focusing on, uh, Triple H and Orton. That's the feud. And, uh, you know, big moment for, for the game adds another, you know, another one to the resume. But uh, overall, I thought the match was fine. But uh, and the Cena, you know, getting knocked out quick was shocking. But uh, other than that, it just felt like a a Triple H-Orton match, really. But I mean, nothing too bad. Nothing, Nothing offensive there.
2: Yeah, I think it was time. I mean, you could argue if there's any Triple H title win that was justifiable, (laughs) it was this one, I would say. Like, Mm -hmm. we've all been pretty high on this entire run. Everyone that's done the show, along with you and me, Scott, Mm -hmm. he's really uh, been in a good place since he returned at SummerSlam. That one match of Booker aside, since then. Really, actually, you know, since then, no mercy uh, when he worked the three matches and everything. Like, since then, he's really been locked in. uh, Right. And really, he, to me, was the most logical fit. I felt at the time he probably should have just gotten the WrestleMania match that as well. Uh, I, I get why they did Cena with the big return, obviously, but you could tell they felt like they wanted to rectify that here as well by giving him a solo win, which I was, while it, the match quality lessened when Cena and JBL went out, I do think having Hunter win directly over Orton in what felt like a solo match was the right move. So, mm-hmm. all right, let's get to our awards and then we'll wrap things up here. MVP of the night. I I didn't go with Hardy. Uh, I felt like he, he was like the most, it was the most emotional win of the night. It was a big breakthrough. It paid off with such a long storyline, got the night started in a good spot. He had the emotional post-match and the payoff.
0: It just, to me, like, it felt like it was kind of a just a nice night for him. I agree. I agree. A culmination of a fantastic few that built, they played the long game with it. Uh, I agree.
1: Yeah, I I think yeah. I mean, you could give it to Triple H if you really wanted to, but he he's had numerous MVPs. Let's give it to Matt Hardy. It's a nice thing.
2: <laughs> yeah. Mm. All right, LVP. I'm with uh, Chavo. No surprise That's, there. Oh Kidding. yeah, one yes. one yes.
1: thousand percent Chavo. Yeah, nobody, cares. <laughs> nobody cares. Nobody
2: cares. <laughs> all right, best match. I had a bunch tied, um, but Michaels versus Batista. That was the best of those uh, that I had. All I had like a few at three and a half stars.
0: Um, I uh, I agree with you. I think I had actually I'm gonna go with Hardy MVP because that was my, my that was my highest match at three and three quarters.
1: Yeah, it, it's close for me, but I think I'm gonna lean uh, HBK Batista. Okay. All right, worst match of the night.
2: I uh, went with Shawn and Khali, but even that again, like we talked about, it was pretty fine. Um, but yeah, that, that was my lowest graded match.
0: Yeah, I uh, I had a bunch of twos, but uh, I'm gonna go show Kali as well. I mean, Kane Chavo was pretty awful. Um, the women's match was eh, but uh, yeah, I'll go with Kane Chavo too. <laughs> yeah, I'm going Kane Chavo. Uh,
1: show and Kali over delivered for me, so uh, Kane and Chavo was awful. Yeah, no, that's the one for me.
2: All right. Best moment, that's where I went Hardy here, too. Hardy winning the belt.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yep, yep, I agree. Same. Okay. Yep. Surprise of the night, I went with, uh, I guess, I, I was close to going with Cena in his elimination because that was a really big surprise. I mean, not a surprise that he didn't win, but the way they went about it. But actually with Mick Foley uh, becoming the SmackDown announcer because that wasn't announced before this. They opened the show and there he is with Cole and it was such a nice surprise to see him show up, so.
0: Uh, I, they, that wasn't announced. Yeah, I guess it wasn't, huh?
2: No, I don't think so.
0: I mean, no, I maybe, but I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't totally remember either. Uh, that was cool, but I'm actually going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Cena getting knocked out early. I, I thought he was going to go to the end. I didn't think he was going to win the match, but I figured he'd go to, I think he, I figured he'd go to the last like few minutes. I didn't think he'd mm. go that early. Mm.
1: Yeah, uh, this, I'll go with the Cena one, but I I, I will give a nod to a uh, great colleague having a star and a half rated match. <laughs> <laughs> he had he had a good O seven. He had a few good matches. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. Yep.
1: <laughs> All right. Final grade.
2: I thought this is um. I thought it was a solid show. I had three matches at three and a half. Nothing below two, uh, but nothing great either. Like nothing really to carry the show per se. But it was an easy watch. It was a smooth watch. Foley adds a ton on commentary. Uh, so that really helped the show as well. So I, went, I ended up going 6 out of 10. So it, it's a dip down. It's it's honestly the lowest score I've had geez, since uh, Unforgiven. I gave a 5. Since then, everything's been 7 or 6.5 or above, mainly 7 or above. Um, so it is a slight step back, but still a very good show. Like it's They're in a nice rut of pay-per-views here since, the, since No Mercy. Um, really, everything's been very good to great.
0: Yeah, I mean, this was this was again not a bad match, uh, not a bad show. Uh, good matches. Uh, I had nothing lower than than average, so I'm gonna give this above average. So I'm gonna give this. I'm gonna give this a six. Uh, it it wasn't terrible. It had some dips, um, but you know you had some over delivering and some good storytelling here and there. So above average. Not not again not as good as as some of our other shows, but. Uh, everything seemed balanced here. Nothing was awesome, but nothing was terrible. So I'll give it a six, Matt.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I was a notch lower than you guys on most of the matches, so I'll go a notch lower on the overall rating. I'll go five and a half on it. I mean, it was it's still a fine show. It's a decent enough watch. It's, it's a very consistent show, match quality rise. Like you guys said, there's nothing outright awful, but there's also nothing outright great either. So I'll go slightly above average, five and a half. All right. Alright, so that'll do it uh, for Backlash
2: 08. Matt, thanks for joining us as always. Uh, Scott, Choose. we'll talk to you in two weeks uh-huh. with Judgment Day 08. Uh-huh. Continue to see if uh, the show's good to be solid. We'll see if we bounce back a little
1: bit maybe and
2: pick things up. Uh, but until two weeks from now, their everyone heads, take care and
1: we'll talk to you in they die.
3: With their final breath They hail the king The king of kings Bow down to the All hail, all hail the King. On your knees, on your knees to the King, the King of Kings. There is only one.